This week on Invasion of the Podcast, Black Widow slays the competition in the theater and at home. Hashtag Captain Dadbod. The sun sets on Pale Boy Summer as we talk about Catherine Bigelow's 1987 vampire western, Near Dark. And I can't wait to hear Steve laugh uncomfortably at the darkest game we've had yet. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of attention. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. Uh, my name is Paul, and somewhere out there on those dusty, dusty roads um, is Steve. Hello, everyone. I am uh, still in the comfort of my own home, uh, even though we're now in a post-COVID, not really post-COVID uh, scenario. I'm still recording from home, so hello to you all from the comfort of my office where I can drink beer. What he's not telling you Paul. is that he has a foil up on the windows and spray painted black. Like there's no sunlight coming into his office right now. You know, he's ready to go. I'm just wearing sunglasses. That's the only thing I'm wearing. And spurs. <laughs> That's it. Sorry. That's the two things. <laughs> sunglasses and spurs. So, yeah, I hope you enjoyed our conversation last week about the film Martin. Uh, I, I think we mentioned this at the time. Um, it is it is available to watch on YouTube because um, it's a hard thing just to find. Uh, otherwise, if you have not seen that film yet, go go uh, use the Googles to find that. Thanks to Terry for coming on, uh, my co-host uh, on Strange Highways. It was a really fun talk. Uh, but, yes, we're going to continue and conclude our pale boy summer by talking about uh, 1987's near dark. I can't wait to talk to Steve about this film because it's one that um, neither one of us had seen. And I feel like that was on like the list of shame of like uh cool eighties horror films that we'd not gotten to. Yeah. I, I don't know why I hadn't gotten around to watching this one. I, I, I don't have a good excuse. It's it's Neither do I. I've known about it. Like I just for whatever reason never got around to it. So I don't I don't know why I always get this title and Nightbreed like flipped in my mind, you know, like but I think you could probably take both titles and flip them and I don't think people like it probably fit both movies okay. You know, but I do have this I do have this thing uh where there's a movie that I know I should watch and for whatever reason I just never get to it like I've talked about watching The Untouchables for like 30 years. I've talked about watching JFK for like 30 years. Like both those movies, for some reason, I'm like, yeah, I'll get to them at some point. <laughs> and I've just never watched them. Near Dark has sort of been on that list. I'm like, yeah, I'll check it out sometime. And I don't I don't have any good reason other than laziness. That's probably it. I don't you know, laziness is what gets in my way. I mean, to my knowledge, and we'll, we'll talk more about this when we get to our feature, like this, this, this film didn't seem like it was one that was widely available until shutter picked it up uh, for easy access. So I think that's part of the reason why it's like, it is never, it was never in front of my face as part of like a streaming service. So that might've been why mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't check it out. But since shutter is bringing their a game by bringing a lot of cool stuff, um, yeah. Anyway, we're going to talk about that. It's going to be a really cool talk. I promise everybody it's going to be so worth your time. We're going to be so insightful. I don't know why I'm front selling that. Uh, and then I have a game that I have not told Steve about that. Um, 
I, you know, I feel bad that I've made it, but we're going to get through it anyway. It's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. I'm I'm looking forward to uncomfortably laughing. <laughs> right? That's like that's the um that's the best kind of laughter, right? It's just cuz you know you, you just don't know what to do with yourself. You're like, I guess I'm going to laugh now. And then uh usually it it like that kind of stuff will hit me at the worst times and in the worst places. So, but this is okay. You're you, it's a podcast. Uh, you're in your room drinking beer just with spurs and uh, sunglasses on. And maybe maybe a cowboy hat. There you go. The one that you smuggled back with you from Texas. <laughs> yes. Smuggled back like it was heroin. <laughs> yeah, it was it's like, can I bring this home on the plane? They're like, I don't know, it's a ten gallon hat. You're like, but there's no there's no gallons in it, you know. So uh so yeah, uh before we get to all that. Uh, Steve, what did you, did you, uh, venture out, uh, do anything over the weekend? Actually, no, you did. I'm sorry. This will tie into our first story, but you went to the movies and then did you do anything else over the weekend? Uh, no, I, I had one note that I wanted to bring up, uh, in last week's game. Uh, I brought up that, uh, English Christmas crackers was something that's not allowed on, uh, planes. And I found out why my wife explained this to me. And I feel like an idiot because she's like, I told you what they were when we were going through the list, and I completely forgot. Apparently, they're firecrackers. Oh, so okay. Well, that, that would make sense why they're not not allowed on planes. So, just a side note to last week's game, people. Uh, if you were listening and going, you idiot, like the, those are firecrackers, not actual Christmas crackers. Well, I mean, um, the title's deceiving, and I've I've eaten three of them since then. Like I, you know, <laughs> a little tough, to, they're a little dry, but you know, they're good. Um, so anyway, <laughs> I like I like that we have the, the corrections department here on the show. If we if we did that, then the, the show would be six hours long each week because we'd be correcting the first three hours from the previous week. <laughs> I just wanted to make mention of it as we start the show. Uh, but my weekend was pretty lackluster. Uh, I, I I did work on some artwork. I stayed home. I think the only thing really that uh, we did was uh, we watched the first Fear Street movie on Netflix. Yeah, how is that? Have you checked that out? Fear Street, nineteen ninety four. I'm not seeing. I know it's supposed to be a trilogy. I haven't seen any of those. I know that the third one's coming out this week. It's it's fun. Um, I did catch myself at one point starting to nitpick and pull away the thread of some of the story plot, and then I stopped myself and I was like, "This is no dumber than a Friday Thirteenth movie. Like, why are you being?" you know, nitpicky with this, uh, when you'll let, you know, Jason, uh, takes Manhattan slide. So, um, and I, I, I don't mean that to say that it's equal to quality to Jason takes Manhattan, but I just, I found myself starting to like pull some threads on the story. And, uh, I realized that I was just, I was being harsh on it for no good reason. Um, I do have one minor critique of it though. Uh, and this is a problem with a lot of, uh, movies, and I don't know if this is still the Guardians of the Galaxy effect or not, or if they're trying to establish that this is 1994. But boy, oh boy, do they really overuse 90s songs uh, within quick succession of it. Like, there's even a point where there's a song playing. Um, it might be Insane in the Membrane, uh, but that song does feature in in the uh, soundtrack as well. But there's there's a song playing. And then somebody gets on a bus and puts earphones on and listens to another song. <laughs> so it's like, and that takes over oh. the song that we were listening to. But I, I feel like in the first like five to 10 minutes, well, maybe it's more like 20 minutes. They hit you with like a lot of songs that are like, it's 1994. Here's Rob zombies. Well, white zombies, 
uh, more human than human. Here's um, Radiohead creep. Here's Soundgarden's The Day I Tried to Live. It's like, okay, we get it. It's 1994. <laughs> um, yeah, you got a soundtrack. That would annoy me. I mean, I mean, you're right. Like that's uh, maybe it's the Guardians effect. Yeah, right. Because James Gunn did it so well, and plus it's also like it's integral to the plot of the movie in a way. Mm-hmm. So I don't think people have figured out that part, <laughs> you know, like, oh, you can have a lot of music, but does it, does it tie in? Does it make sense? You know? So, um, but yeah, I've heard, I've heard generally good things about the fear street stuff so far. And I, I was not of age to read goosebumps back in the day. I think when goosebumps started, I was probably in my late teens, maybe even college age. I don't know when goosebumps starts, but I know that the fear street was like his young adult novels and I didn't read any of those either. Um, so I do know that they have a special place in a lot of people's hearts. And I think uh, from what I've read, at least in the reactions, um, people seem to generally like it because it's not like a straight adaptation. But I guess there are references and in, in things that are happening within that movie that are callbacks to the books. So um, I'm, I'm excited. I'll, I'll check out the second one and the third one. Uh, but that was really the only thing I had uh, done this past weekend was checked out. Fear Street, nineteen ninety four. Okay, well, you I mean, well you you went to go see Black Widow um, like earlier though. You saw it on Thursday evening, right? Yeah, but we're going to talk about that in our news. So well, I thought okay. I, I just, just didn't know if you wanted to mention the theater experience, or we could just talk about that when we get to the news. We can. You know, we can I thought we could talk okay, about that, that when we get to the news. Fair enough. It's like we, yeah, I'm afraid if we do that, I'll start talking about the movie proper. So okay. that's that's fair. Uh, <laughs> so for me, um, I. Uh, uh, first I was like dragging my feet about like, um, I was like, I, I do want to go see black widow. And then at the same time, I'm like, I also like, maybe, maybe you could understand this. And, and this, I guess was, well, we'll talk about more about it in the second about the home access, but I eventually pulled the trigger on the home access and I'll explain why when we get there, but to try to satiate my, uh, my Marvel fix, I was like, I'll just, I'll just watch Thor Ragnarok again. And it had been a little while since I've seen that. Um, I remember mm-hmm. liking that film like a great deal when I saw it in the theater and I've seen it a couple times since, but I, I felt like the movie, the first time I saw it was a little too jokey, but now I think yeah. I can kind of, um, meet it, meet it where it's supposed to be. And I thoroughly, I, mean, I, there's parts of it that like, I was able to kind of settle down and watch. And I would remember that catching things I forgot about, like some of the, some of the dialogue of that movie is just outrageous. Whenever, um, uh, uh Jeff Goldblum, like he's like talking to Thor and Thor's like, I gotta get back to Asgard. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, ass place. Like I just, that line having Jeff Goldblum just dismiss Asgard and keep calling it ass, ass land or whatever was really funny. And I'd forgotten about that. And there's a lot of that, like stuff that's like just bumping up right. Like it's, it's hitting the very like ceiling of PG 13 and how like, just like winking at you of like, we're, we're getting away with all of this right now. Like, so that movie, it was a lark. Um, and so it's like, it just kind of, you know, I was like, okay, good. I got that, you know, got, I got that Avengers, um, you know, fix for a second. And then I went ahead and, and got the home access for black widow. So whatever, we'll talk about that in a second. So I watched Ragnarok. The next day, um, I ended up, or actually on Sunday, I ended up watching um, what would be a good uh, bookend to uh, Black Widow, uh, Con Air. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> kidding about it being a bookend. I'm kidding. I mean, I watched Con Air. Because uh, <laughs> um, I ended up re-watching uh, Black Widow on Sunday with with a friend. Uh, and, and then after that, I was like, let's just get something. That's like, not that Black Widow is like, this very heavy movie, but it's like, let's just watch something that's like just completely dumb fun. So we watched Con Air and 
that movie is dirtbag stupid, but I love that movie. And I think this is the second time I've seen it within a calendar year. And it's like, I could, I could easily watch this once a year. I, I love that movie. I haven't revisited it in a long time. I do remember liking it a great deal. I think it, it's, yeah, you know, I, I criticize Michael Bay all the time, uh, but I do think that uh, that is one of the few films that he's made where I'm like, okay, with shutting my brain off, where uh, the Transformers movies, I don't know why. Uh, to be fair, I've only seen the first one, so I can't even say that I'm like hard on the other ones, but I had no interest in anything after the first one. Mm-hmm. And the first one, I have to even admit, I was like, yeah, if I didn't think about it too much, it was fun. Other than the fact that sometimes the uh, robots, when they're fighting, actually look like just big trash cans going in a bin. Yeah, that's but, true. Uh, yeah. Well, here's the thing that's going to blow your mind. Con Air isn't directed by Michael Bay. <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> no, it's directed by uh, Simon West, I think. Uh, but it, you would be, for you to, to think that, you're not wrong in terms of like how ridiculous that movie is and how I feel like, that we talk about bookends like the rock and Conair go so well together, but the rock, are, which was directed are, by Bay, it, it's a better movie. Okay. I, I could have sworn it was made by Michael Bay. Wow. I no. I if apologize. You, if you would have watched this, it, you would have watched it now. And at the end, you could still even tell me that's a Michael Bay film. And maybe Simon West was like his, uh, he was uh, directing under a fake name. I don't know. <laughs> like <laughs> next week we'll have to have a, another corrections department where I'm like, okay guys, what well, no, the math? No, I just think I think it's I think right. it's just kind of how people everybody assumes that's a Michael Bay film because it, it it pretty much oh. is you know in terms of like aesthetic and amping up and ridiculousness and random guitar and like this weird American pride and both of them have Nick Cage and um, varying degrees of Nick Cage. Uh, just yeah, uh, but I, I love I like even even Nick Cage's shitty shitty like Alabama accent that does not belong in the movie whatsoever. And it's terrible. It's just, it makes me smile every time he tries to pull it off. You know, like I just Connor, Connor is a fun, dumb movie. And maybe at some point I'll <laughs> watch it for the show and punish everybody with a uh, Connor. Well, it goes back to things that I, I've said previously about like the fast and furious movies. It's like, I don't know why I have, I, I like plenty of big, dumb movies. I don't know why I'm so resistant to like, you know, these big, dumb car movies where I'm like, yeah, you know, you'd probably enjoy it if you just sat down and watched them. But I'm like, I have no interest in watching any of those. So I I'd probably lump Michael Bay in that same uh, area, although he does sometimes try to pull like I'm going to be a serious filmmaker now and I'm going to make this thing that's also hot garbage. So, yeah, I mean, it, that's um, that's fair. Uh, Pain and Gain's a really good, good movie. His it's I mean, it's a it's a black comedy. It's really good, though. Um, but he knows what he, he knows what he's doing. There's a certain thing. I mean, Bay Bay is a like he has a look about and like I don't know he has a, a he knows how to make a movie. It's just that he actively makes the choices that a lot of people don't want. You know, I think that's a whole other discussion to be had. But his movies always look good. You know, like like in terms of like the cinematography. I'm not talking like two trash cans fighting in a dumpster. I'm just talking like the look of the films always look good. Yeah, and and before I stumble upon any more Michael Bay isms and uh, uh, have to apologize on another episode, uh, I'll just mention this on your Ragnarok uh, story, uh, or not even story, your your account of revisiting the film. Uh, I don't know if you saw um, the Deadpool and Korg watch the Free Guy trailer. Have you seen that? I did, and I th- it was okay. But I like that this was like the weirdest way of introducing Deadpool to the MCU. 
Like I thought that was really right. Good. But it's like you got the you got the star of Free Guy, the two star. Well, you got the 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 good guy and the villain, right? You got Tika Watiti, who's mm-hmm. the bad guy in that. It's like, well, of course they they have a vested interest in um getting a little bit more light shown on this movie, you know. And it was like one of the last like Fox produced films, right? And so, and I do yeah. like. Uh, you know, Deadpool saying that uh, this movie reeks of being a uh, 20th Century Fox fire sale leftover, um, and then uh, uh, Korg sort of like giving his take on different things. I thought it was fun. I'm not. I'm not like everybody seems to really love Deadpool. I think it's Deadpool's okay. I I enjoyed both movies, but I'm not like worshiping at the altar of the two Deadpool movies. Like I feel like. Whenever you mention those movies, everybody's like, they're the greatest things that ever happened to us. Uh, it was, uh, you know, uh, the automobile, indoor plumbing, and Deadpool. Those are the three things. Uh, <laughs> it's like the wheel, polio vaccine, <laughs> and Deadpool. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like, I don't know anybody who dislikes Deadpool. And I, I, I don't, I didn't, I didn't dislike either movie, but I'm just like, yeah, I get it. Like, it's, they're funny and they're fun. But I don't take them too serious. They're just not my jam. But uh, I, I did enjoy um, him and Korg talking about uh, the Free Guy, which is a movie that I don't even know that I want to see. But I'm like, I'll watch the trailer. Of those two guys talking about it. So yeah, and I just also like that. Um, like they, they did, they did take shots at, at their, you know, at their mouse overlords. Um, you know, and mm-hmm. that's, I mean, again, like they're they're. People are going to go see Deadpool three. People are going to go see any, like they're going to see uh, love and thunder. They're like, Disney's going to make bank. And for them to be able to kind of like make their jokes, like that's, you know, yeah, it was fun. I just like that. That was like the, like, Hey, look at that MCU. You got your first um, mutant in there now, kind of and a rock guy. You like, it's, I like how MCU it's like, we're going to bring in a mutant and the closest thing to the thing we can do right now, you know, like, I also like the fact that the only two times we've seen Korg since uh, Ragnarok now involve him like watching either television or playing a video game. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's fair. Uh, but yeah, speaking of uh, uh, Taika Waititi, um, I, uh, I think I mentioned this last week and also in, in regards to our Pale Boy Summer, uh, Mary and I, uh, my wife and I, we've been um, watching more of what we do in the shadows. So we're working our way through it and everything's a delight. We're almost, we're, Almost halfway through season one, so we saw some beefing with some werewolves. We saw nice. them trying to recruit other vampires. It that's just yeah, it's. I mean, I knew I was going to love it, but it's been a delight. Yeah, I, I, my wife had actually mentioned that. Uh, is it, uh, is it Wellington Paranormal or mm-hmm. the 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 off? I think it's Wellington show. PD or something. Yeah, or Wellington Port Paranormal. I think yeah, I think it's the right name. Yeah. Yeah, she said that that's actually going to be on the CW, and I was like, "Oh wow!" Like I, I'm like, I know it's tied into that. I didn't realize that uh, um, it would be. I, I assumed it was going to be an FX show, just like what we do in the shadows. But apparently, it's already had like three or four seasons overseas. So it might it might just be the licensing if FX didn't pick it up initially for like yeah. you know international distribution. Who knows? But I'm glad that's going to be available. That'll be fun to dig into as well. Anything that um, you know Jermaine Clement and Taika Waititi do right now, I'm, I'm vested in. But yeah, I just I know I'm really really late to the game in terms of watching the series, but I'm, I'm digging I'm digging what we're watching. It's been it's been fun. Yeah, and she she may have you know been. Um uh, misspoken in that regard. I didn't fact check her, but when she brought it up, it was like, Oh, okay. 
Um, I don't know. I I just kind of I just uh, Stone Cold killed our uh, the momentum of the no, conversation. No, 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 no. Like, Here, I, let me bring this up. No, it's it's uh, going to be available for American audiences. So she's right about that. I just don't know what venue. Yeah. So yeah, there's a thing that right, I just cool. did. It's, so. <laughs> it is fine. Uh, so all right, that sounds like our weekends. Uh, that we 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 saw some stuff. We talked about some stuff. It's about twenty minutes. So everybody, uh, check your watches. Take a drink. I think it's time. I think it's time for some news. Good news, everyone. All right. Yeah, we're going to talk about Black Widow a little bit. I don't know if we're going to go super, super duper in depth. But I'm going to throw up one of these just in case. Do you know why they are called spoilers? Because the story is so, like I have here is about its take home. Sorry, it's box office performance and take home in terms of like in in home numbers. Right. So, uh, so at the at the time of the story published uh, on CNBC, it was at 80 million uh, in its theatrical debut, 60 million from Disney Plus, and then an additional 78 million internationally. So Black Widow's a hit. And um, I'm going to drop a big spoiler right now. Okay. She lives. I know, right? Like, <laughs> oh, no. Uh, it was one of those things that, like, I had to kind of, like, there's times where, like, oh, it's like, oh, is she going to be okay? I'm like, well, yeah, she's going to be okay. Like, that'd be, like, to. <laughs> To watch this movie and then you get to the like the end credits like stinger, it's like if you didn't know anything else about this character other than this movie, <laughs> you would have a crazy amount of whiplash. Let's just put it that way, right? But yeah. Um so yeah, I mean this is set right after the events of Civil War before going into Infinity War. Um that's not a spoiler, that's just framing. But yeah, it did it did well. Um, it's actually like the strongest uh, turnout for a film, I believe, um, since the pandemic, you know, has, has started and now is hopefully ending. Uh, and then, you know, it, it did strong for Disney plus. So with that being said, um, you, you did go see the theater. Um, and so how was your viewing experience with that? Uh, theater was probably like half full, but it was again, the Thursday night for showing, uh, and they've made it earlier now. Like it, it was, so it used to be midnight. And then some asshole went into some theaters and shot people up. So they're like, maybe we shouldn't do the midnight showings. Maybe we should make them earlier uh, on Thursdays. And we'll make them at like seven. And this was at six o'clock. Wow. So I was like, oh, wow, they're really like doing it early this time. Um, but uh, it, it was it was good. Uh, we had a good experience in the theater. Um, there wasn't anybody around us. So it, initially I thought it was more empty. And it was, but when the lights went up, I was like, oh, we're probably about half full. Like, that's, uh, there was more people in the theater than I anticipated or thought. Uh, I had a good, good time at the theater. Um, you know, it's nice to return to the theater. And maybe because it's awful to say it this way, but maybe because there are less people there, it's a better experience. I don't know. But uh, it, it was a good, good experience overall. Got our popcorn, got some pop, uh, sat back and, and enjoyed some Black Widow. Good. Uh, so for me, uh, just my constant apprehension and fear now, I, I'm beginning to think it's a me thing and maybe not a theater thing, but then I believe that, that I'm proven that it's other people as well. Hell is other people. Uh, I, I was going to go to the theater and see this, but then it, it was, I was like, you know, I've been waiting a year for this. Um, I, I don't know if I've talked about this, the, 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 the journey for us to get furniture in our house over the past year, just because of the pandemic and like shortages on like labor and supplies. We finally got 
these nice uh, double recliners. They're like they're t- connected together. They're they're almost like um like they're almost like movie like the fancy uh, movie theater seats. There's not leather, right? They recline. They have they have cup holders. Like it's it's the perfect you know fat guy watching TV recliner. Um, and I'm like I have theater seating. I have um, a big screen, t- like a really big screen TV. I want to watch a Marvel movie without the fear of anybody else. Like not ruining is not the right word, but making me agitated the entire time. So I just went ahead and dropped the 30 bucks um, and got the direct um, home premiere for it. And I'll say and that, you can watch that over like 30 days, right? No, you, you can, can watch it. It's, it's mine. It's my, it's going to be mine. And uh, as much as I want, um, it's, it's hitting Disney plus as available for everybody like October 6th. So, okay. So, yeah. Let me let me go back here. I apologize for interrupting you. No, 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 no. Go ahead. My impression of the way the Premier Access worked was is that you only got Premier Access for thirty days, and then what? I, I didn't believe that you owned the movie after you purchased it, or, or you made that thirty dollars. Am I incorrect in that? No, I looked it up just to verify because I was like, if this is just a like a a one day thing, I'm not going to drop thirty on it. Like I would, you know, but uh, I I I have access to this film until it becomes available to everybody in October, which I'd still have access to it. Okay. But you don't technically own it, own it. It's well, not I mean, like it's, in your digital collection. Correct? I mean, it's part of, it's part of the Disney, like if we, it's part of the Disney plus. So it's not like I, it's not like I have it downloaded, you know, it's just access to. Yeah. Well, that's, that's yeah. the other reason. Like my, my wife asked me, she's like, well, when's it coming to Disney plus? I'm like, I don't know because she was like, do we want to buy it? Cause well, like when we walked into the theater, like my wife was like, she really loved it, and I, I I really loved it as well, but like for her, it's probably an A, or for me, it's like a B plus. Mm-hmm. It's still very minor, but like she really came out of the theater like excited and loving it. And then she brought it up. She's like, well, she's like, do we want to buy it when it comes out on uh, you know digital or Blu-ray? Like she's like, because won't it just go to Disney plus? And I'm like, I don't know when it's gonna go to Disney plus, but you saying October 6th makes me think that there's less incentive. I hate to put it that way, but we've got a Disney plus, you know, view, uh, membership. You yeah. know, there's less, there's less incentive for us to buy it when it comes out at like $20 or whatever the, the price to own is. It's going to be, we can wait a year and buy it for probably like when it's on sale for 10. Well, you know what I mean? That's perfectly fine. Cause you guys got your experience to see it in the theater and you paid your money, which is probably what I mean. If you add it all up was over $30, you know, and you, and, and that's fine. It's just, uh, you know, if you guys want to wait till October and you get a part of part of Disney plus, because I, the part of the reason I thought about that is because there was, um, that Raya and the last dragon was one of the early premiere ones too. That was like same day theater. It's now part mm-hmm. of the service. So this is their plan going forward for, well, not probably not the Marvel movies in general. Cause I know Kevin Feige was a little harumph about this, but you know, considering that it's making its money, then I think, you know, I think the numbers are going to show that Feige might be wrong about like this, like this needs to be to see in the theater. No, no doubt. But I also have a really banging set of headphones and a really big TV, you know, like it's, well, yeah. Go yeah. I, I think, you know, more in context for what I was thinking is, is that, you know, uh, when it comes to the home video market, home video, I, I, I got to stop talking like it's 1988. Um, the experience of, Excuse me, owning it either on Blu-ray or 4K or laser you know, those, or beta, no, I'm kidding, whatever. <laughs> yes, those numbers are diminishing, unfortunately. And you know, there are a lot of people who are living in fear of like you know digital media, or I'm sorry, physical media will somehow. And it does have a very you know, if you walk into a, a Target or a Walmart, 
there's a, a, a very uh, diminished presence now for those types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you, you know, it is that thing of like, well, how many people are going to wait for it to stream? How many people are going to wait for it to buy it digitally or, you know, not buy it at all because it's going to stream? So that's that's more of, I think, the question she had where she's like, well, do we even buy it if we're just going to have it always on Disney Plus, you know, after it goes up in oct. Well, we didn't know what date it would go up, but she's like, when it finally makes it to Disney Plus, we'll have access to it anyway, anytime. Yeah, but the- Whereas, like, I was very much a like new Marvel movies out on Blu-ray, go buy it. So no, I, I'm I'm going to pick up a physical copy of this film at some point. I just because that's kind of you know I like I I like all the Marvel films. I want to own them, um, and so I will do that. I just um, for me, I just the way I figured it especially since I've watched it twice within like, you know, 48 hours. And I, you know, I had a friend watch it with me as well. That means counting me twice, you know, cause I'm awesome. And them that it's been viewed by three people. So that's been $10 of viewing, you know? So it's mm-hmm. like, I'm, I'm, you know, the cost of it for what I've paid for it is already going down, you know, versus me buying a ticket. But that's how I'm doing the math. I'm sure it's wrong. And like, but and also, like I, I said, I think you're missing my point, though. I'm not. I'm not like saying like, oh, oh no, you no, no. Buy I'm sorry, I, the let me, access. No, let me. I'm, I'm sorry, talking yeah. about the later sales of it. Is is where I was going with no, that? So I do apologize. Uh, no, 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 no. I, I, I see your point. I was just trying to justify, I guess, my like why I did what I did. But no, um, I think no. We spent more to see it in the theater. Yeah, I mean, if you add in our concessions, we spent more. So yeah. it's not about you know. So if like, you want to come over and watch it with me, you can't. No. Uh, so <laughs> no, my point is like, if she's like, well, if it's just going to go to Disney Plus, that's that's fair. However, um, <laughs> in terms of physical media uh, and owner owning, it's better than not because what if Disney Plus one day is like, you know what, guys, we're like, it was, it's been fun, everybody, we're out, and like they they pull the plug on the servers or something happens, like you don't get access to that. You know, mm-hmm. but if you own it, you do, right? And that's kind of where I'm at with that too. So if you love a thing, then you know, get a physical copy of it. Like so I, I see your point. I think that is that is that what I'm speaking to? I think I'm speaking to that. Well I, I think her point was just like, you know, we we paid the money to see it in the theater. We really both liked it. Um, and I thought this was going to be just something that she would say like, well, no doubt we're going to buy it when it comes out. But she, she gave it pause. She's like, well, do we need to buy it? So we have Disney plus, you know, and I, my wife is, I'm, I'm the physical media collector of the family. My wife has moved pretty much all digitally. Like she doesn't ever want to have to deal with the Blu-ray player anymore. She doesn't want to have to, you know, I don't want to make it sound like crack open a book. But, like, she reads books on her phone all the time, which drives me up a wall. But, like, <laughs> you know, I I still will, you know, I comiXology, you've seen my comiXology. I'll buy stuff digitally. Most of that stuff is stuff that I have uh, in print form, but I'm like, I would love to be able to just flip through it without pulling a book out. So, you know, I'm still torn between the two worlds. I will say that, uh, and I, this is going off, track of the black widow conversation but i'm sure you've seen the meme of like the guy who's like oh it's not streaming on netflix i never have that problem and like he's standing behind a wall that would kill like a person if it fell over on them uh filled with like blu-rays and dvds it's like okay i get it like you're a physical collector i understand it but for like my wife where she's like our space you know is it's not infinite and uh, I don't want to have to deal with a, a Blu-ray player 
or putting a disc in, you know, for her, digital is the way to go. You know, whereas, you know, I'm like, if I can own something that I love and have special features, which is where I think Blu-ray market is going now, where it's like, if you want these extra things, mm-hmm. but even those have, have diminished. Like, That's true. I, I remember when Blade 2 came out, the second disc had eight hours of bonus features, like eight hours. Like that's watching the movie like four times. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they used to pack all this stuff into that. And uh, this is probably a larger conversation about the, you know, where Blu-ray is going and physical media. But it was just a question that my wife asked me that I, I hadn't even considered. Cause I was like, well, of course we're going to buy it. And it, it was, you know, yeah, we're tried and true fans. So it's like, wow, if we're questioning and I wonder how many people who aren't like buying it right away are the ones who, who may not purchase it when it comes out for either VOD or, uh, you know, to, to own on a Blu-ray. So that's a fair question. Um, but I think now with the same day release thing that's been going on, I don't think this is going away. I think that it's going to be strategically used by studios depending upon the release, right? Cause there's going to be some that, you know, may not get as widespread distribution, but if you make it available same day, then, you know, other might be other markets that they didn't actually, you know, get like, I, I think there's benefits to this. I don't think Marvel was going to do this again. I, like, I think this was the one just because it was the tail end of the pandemic and we've been waiting a year for it. And they kind of, I think, I think uh, Disney was like, if the people are still anxious, let them have the chance to, to pay their money at home. But going forward, yeah, I think everything else is going to be in the theater because I think there's um, also there's the deals that they're making with the theater chains, too. And, and it, it's it's all complicated, you know, like I'm I'm not I don't understand a lot of it, but I just I can see how this success of it with the premier home access coupled with its box office. Um, you have like I think people have to take the strategy seriously, though. Paul, I come to you for answers. Oh, then you, you've been on this, the wrong show forever. I'm sorry. Uh, like I, you know, um, I, I, I took a phone, a work phone call and I, I couldn't help this person whatsoever with what was going on. And, and the person was getting a little, a little snippy with me. They're like, and I, and I said, well, I was like, is there anything else I can help you with? He's like, well, it sounds like you got a lot of things that you, you know, you can't answer for me. I was like, I was like, well, go ahead. Ask me more questions. I can't answer. And the guy, like I wasn't being a jerk, but the guy laughed and kind of realized like, you know, where he was with me. <laughs> like, I'm like, you can keep asking me questions. I don't, I don't know the answers to, we can keep going, but yeah. So don't come to this show for answers. <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. Um, I did want to just mention real quick, going back to Wellington paranormal. My wife was correct. Uh, there are three seasons of it right now and, uh, it is premiering on the CW. So good on her for, uh, correcting my dumbass. So there we go. So that's Steve. I come to you for answers. No, I'm kidding. So, so uh, yeah, what did you think of, we'll get to the main yeah. story here with black widow. What did you think of main? I, I liked black it. Widow? I liked it a lot. Um, also, um, there's, there's a lot of strengths to it. Uh, there are some, um, there are some things that I wish were better, uh, in terms of, uh, some of character decisions. Uh, and, and, and like, again, um, I, uh, the arc of the story I thought was solid. Um, the action was good. Uh, I love David Harbor as the red guardian. Like I, mm-hmm. like he just, I, I need, I, I need, uh, give, give him a limited series of just, it would, I would love it being called tales of the red guardian where it's just him in prison, just bullshitting everybody. And, he, and it's these flashbacks that may or may not have happened. 
of him at his younger days. That would have been amazing. Um, the, the prison, the prison breakout sequence was solid. That was very mission impossible to me. Uh, the way it escalated, uh, the comedy worked for me. Florence Pugh, um, was great. She, she had, she was like the secret weapon of the movie. Like just her one-liners were just killing me. So I liked all that. I'll say with, with, uh, Florence Pugh, I, and yes, I, I know that, uh, she's probably well, or, or, or more critically acclaimed for say something, uh, like, um, um, Midsummer. Oh my God. Midsummer. Yeah. 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 I was like, why did the name of the movie just fall out of my head? But I fell in love with her watching, uh, fighting with my family, which is a movie I had no expectations for. And I really don't know Paige's backstory other than what was in the movie. I don't really know, but she's great in that movie. And like, the, I the film you're talking I, about is it's a, uh, autobiographical, autobiographical story of Paige, the WWE wrestler, right? That, that's right. Like, so, I'm, telling the listeners just want to clarify what that is. So, Oh, I thought yeah. you were explaining it to me. No, I, well, I'd Steve, I'm giving you an answer. No, I'm kidding. No, <laughs> <laughs> no uh, but I'd watched it after seeing midsummer and like, I was like, that's the same actress. Like, I'm sure people are like, Oh, it's such a, you know, gritty performance. And you know, it's emotionally draining to watch her performance in midsummer. It is, but like her performances page is I was so in, I'm like, Oh my God. Like the fact that she got to show two vastly different characters in those two movies is like, Oh, I'm, I'm in for her, uh, being in black widow. And, uh, yeah, I agree. She's, she's got a great line about her vest. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That stuff had me laughing really hard. David Harbor as, uh, as red guardian guardian, or I gotta, I gotta point this out. Like my yep. wife was like, She's like, I didn't get the joke about Crimson Dynamo. I'm like, it's another Marvel villain. I, I, like, that's what makes it even funnier. I cracked up. I was like, I, it was one of those moments I was by myself clapping. I'm like, you brought up the Crimson Dynamo. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but I, I loved all his stuff. And uh, my wife also pointed out, she's like, oh, finally cosplay for like heavy guys. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. what I'm like. You know, like I can you know, I, I could be Red Guardian for Halloween. Is what yeah, you're just we'll just uh, start handing out like you know tracks uh, about uh, you know how to become <laughs> to you know join Russia and be a communist. It'd be here you go, everybody. <laughs> no, no, it's just he was great. I like. I wish I, I we knew like so the, the 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 negatives for me in the movie and they're 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 not like the movie's still great. Like I watched it twice within, like I said, 48 hours. Um, Ray Winstone as like the, the, the big guy behind everything. He is a monster. Like it just, um, that, that whole, that whole sequence with him, like he just, just kind of eating the scenery was mm-hmm. really hard to watch. Cause he's just so good at it. Um, so that was great. Um, uh, I just wish that we got more, of the red guardian actually like he talked, he, you, you know, he's a super soldier. I just wish that his, his moment to shine, they would have given him a little bit longer to fight and show Mm -hmm. that. And I'll just, I'll leave it there. Um, and then also, um, I, you know, I'm not as upset, uh, as others are not upset as in like, you want to, you know, riot in the streets, I know a lot of people are not happy with uh, the characterization of Taskmaster. I'm not either. Uh, I'm just, I'm kind of viewing it from the standpoint of like, uh, this is, this is what they picked to tell this story. And we're now seeing with like, um, with other things going on and the Marvel cinematic universe and on the TV series that, um, nothing's ever set in stone. So 
I mean, it works for this movie. I just, I, I, I do hope for a, another pass at this character because taskmaster in the comics is, um, there's more going on there. I'll just say that. Taskmaster for me as a character is not somebody who's ultimately, and I know this is going to piss people off. I don't think they're uh, to me. Taskmaster's always been a C level bad guy. Mm -hmm. So for Taskmaster here to just be for all intents and purposes, a goon, uh, a goon with backstory that we get at the end of the film, but still a goon and they're, they're an enforcer. They're, they're not the main villain. They're just showing up. It's like, uh, I remember when, 2000s X-Men came out like I had friends who were like oh the only thing I didn't like was Sabretooth like why is he so dumbed down and why does he have no personality and I'm like I don't know I just I always think of Sabretooth as the guy who just shows up to fight Wolverine <laughs> yeah, um, it's like I'm and, not even a bad guy I just have a beef with him like just <laughs> you yeah. know and, and it's like uh when he's brought in in uh origins with um Liam Le Lee Shriver oh, yeah Liam Shriver yeah um, I don't think that's an improvement either, but I wasn't angry at it. So uh, I understand people's frustrations, but at the same time, I don't think of Taskmaster as your high level villain. You know, um, maybe a better comparison was uh, I remember having a fight with somebody online back in the days when I would fight with people online, uh, like 2002, 2003, when Daredevil was announced. Um, somebody was complaining about Michael Clark Duncan being uh, the kingpin. And it was like, why can't Michael Clark Duncan be kingpin? I'm like, there's nothing in his story that suggests that he can't be Michael Clark Duncan. Yeah. And, you know, I think he did a great job with it. And I think that, uh, you know, while Daredevil, the movie has its faults, he's not one of them. Uh, it, the, the, the biggest fault of that movie is, is that they spread too much into the, the, the story. It should have just been Daredevil and the Kingpin and taken Bullseye and Elektra out of the equation. With this, I, I didn't get that. With Ta I wasn't left feeling like, oh, they really screwed the pooch with Taskmaster. But I understand people's like, you know, there's friends of the show who are very big Taskmaster fans and feel like, that character was not represented the way it should be. That's I, I totally get that. Yeah. And, 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 and I agree with them, but it, but it doesn't like, it doesn't ruin the film that I saw, but also too, with what the, what the taskmaster is as a goon. Again, I, I wish I would have saw more like, like watching a second time, you see more of the, um, the adaptability of the character. Like they, there's mm -hmm. a quote in the movie where they said it's like fighting a mirror. So watching it again, you see more of that kind of come through with what they were doing with the choreography. But I, I just think that we were robbed of a, a last good fight as well. But I mm -hmm. understand thematically that wasn't the point. Like, so again, these are quibbles. I, I like the movie. Um, like credit to, uh, that they're able to find a way like to like, not that, not that everything has to be continuity, but they, they figure out a way to make it work. Yeah. Like, uh, that was all good. Um, I did like it. I liked it. Uh, it was nice to, to actually get like, not, not get fight choreography cause we do, but it's like get hand to hand combat. You like, it's getting, if you get the right people in place, um, and, and Hollywood's picking up on this, you're starting to get some really cool action sequences. And this film has a lot of those. I will say that was one of actually my critiques of the movie or complaints about the movie is that I feel like they've amped the action up so much that I, I, I thought that maybe black widow was a little too super here. I mean, oh, and yeah, I, I, yeah, that's yeah, a minor yeah. criticism because we've seen her fight everything from the Chari 
to uh, all of Thanos' goons. Like, we've seen her in battle with all these other things. But I was like, ah, I wish they would have scaled it back a little bit because Black Widow doesn't have a suit of, you know, armor. She doesn't have, you know, a, a hammer of the gods. She doesn't have a super, or a super um, what's the word I'm looking for here? The, the uh, serum, the super serum that the cap does. Um, I, I thought like they made her a little too like, Oh no, there's a bit where she falls off the side of a building and she hits a yeah. couple things on the way down. And then she stands up and walks over somebody. I'm like, no, you'd be dead. I would have liked to see it done a little bit more Indiana Jones, where she's taking these hits and she's like, Oh my God. Like, you know, maybe she's still standing up, but she's like clearly in pain and, or, and, and they hint at it sometimes, but it is a little inconsistent. You're right. I, I'll, yeah. I'll agree with you on that. Um, I also want to mention that not to give too much away. I did like, um, some of the, I mean, we're talking about the red guardian. So clearly we're talking about Russia. Uh, some of the cold war architecture of places that are seen later in the movie. I don't know. I love the idea. It's like, you know where they end up going and it's like it looks like a 70s office building like it's just i <laughs> i like the same thing with loki like it's just like some like someone put some thought into that where it's like the yeah this thing existed it was built in the 70s so it's gonna look it's gonna look very industrial like i'm very um i don't know not industrial is not the right word but i just there was some real thought put into some of the the locations in terms of what they were presenting and i dug that as well i i i agree with that i think uh for me, the only other like quibbles that I had was as I felt that uh, the serum that is controlling uh, the Black Widows that are in the Red Room felt like too much of a. I, I'm not going to say it's a red herring because it's not. It's a big part of the plot. However, I felt it was unnecessary. Like the Red Room being something where these girls are being controlled because they've been institutionalized since a very young age and I've only known this life um, is enough. I don't think you need an, an additional piece uh, to show like how uh, abusive and awful these conditions are and what it made these women into these train killers. Yeah, Cause I asked the question like after watching it a second time, I was like, what if like, you know, like they're exposed to this, but it's like, they still want to kill everybody around them. <laughs> like, what if they're okay with who they are? Like, I don't like, Oh, is this whatever? Anyway. Um, well, it, yeah. it goes back to the conversation about WandaVision where everybody wanted it to be Mephisto or some big villain. And it's like, isn't that woman's grief enough? Yeah. Like, isn't that enough to be the, the, the cause of all of this? Like, and I think it is. And I think that that could have been more interesting to see and like, not them being under someone else's control, them being under somebody else's control, uh, you know, uh, psychologically, not um, by some sort of magic potion. But yeah, that's fair. So, and also, I just want to mention uh, Rachel Vice. It was good to see her again. Uh, I liked her in it. Uh, she had a couple. You good went to high school with her, right? With Rachel Vice, yeah, I did. No, uh, no, yeah, uh, yeah, go Bearcats. I don't know. Uh, no, I was remember when I was watching. I was like, I haven't seen her for a while. I was like, I know she's married to somebody famous. And I was like, Oh yeah, Daniel Craig. I'm like, Yeah, that's somebody famous. Um, Is so, she married to Daniel Craig? Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> All right, I, I well. like the I like the her bod movie came out this year before his. <laughs> uh, the other thing that I was going to say is is uh, not giving anything away. I love Natasha's. Uh, it, it it harkens back to the Loki scene in Avengers. Her solution to how she 
best the villain. Um, and I loved that scene. That scene for me oh, made yeah. the movie. Yeah, that was that was really really cool, um, and it shows her ruthlessness to like get the job done. Yeah, I I, I dug it. So uh, so yeah, Black Widow's good. Uh, it was good to just you know kind of dig into the Marvel stuff again. Which I mean, granted, you know, having now we're, we're like Loki wrapped as of yesterday. I know Steve has seen the last episode. I have not. Uh, but after having WandaVision, after having um, you know Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And this, like, well, and, uh, and Loki, it's like, it's not like we've been starved for for Marvel content, but it's nice to get another Marvel movie, right? And now we got, like, a lot more coming the rest of the year. Um, and, I, and I, and Steve, I honestly believe this is probably the, like, the best discussion we've had about a film when we put the spoilers where we really didn't spoil anything. So we should give ourselves a pat on the back that somehow we walk through this without, like, doing anything horrifically spoilerific, you know? That's, that's, that's very crazy. true. Yeah, that's crazy. So now let's just talk about all the spoilers. No, I'm kidding. Um, so yeah, Black Widow is good. Like, um, you know, like I, I think your B plus rating is probably. I think that's about where I'm at with that too. But hey, you know that. I'm sure DC. Uh, sorry, Warner Brothers would be like, yes, please. You know, I'm sure that's yeah. what. They- <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, but hey, don't worry. You can buy. Um, you're going to be able to buy a black and white version of the Snyder Cut on Blu-ray at some point. So there you go. There, there's the thing you need to go to the store and support, Steve. Yeah, I'm yeah. gonna pass. All right. All right. So next story here. Uh, I'll I'll set the stage here. Um, so here I'll just read the headline. And you're going to be like, I don't understand a word of this. Then I'll explain further. This is about a video game and a studio and their philosophy. It's a, it's a video game story. Psychonauts 2 to feature an invincibility toggle as all people should be able to enjoy games. What this means is that the studio that produces Psychonauts, which is a game from, I don't know, it's like over 10 years ago. It's from a studio called Double Fine that the gentleman behind that studio, his name is Tim Schafer. He's kind of a big name in video games. Uh, And Double Fine is a studio that is still independent uh, in terms of like, you know, they're, they're big, but they're not like part of uh, Sony or Microsoft. Like they're, they're doing their own thing. Um, they've always put out a bunch of different games with the intent of creating different experiences and just different approaches. They've decided now that um, with this game, Psychonauts 2, that there should be an ability for people to turn on this invincibility thing so that they should be able to finish the game. They said um, beating the game on the lowest difficulty is still beating the game. What they're talking about here is that they are getting tired of this this thing in gaming culture where it like... <laughs> It's called get good. It's like G I T G U D where it's like get good where unless you prove that you're like the greatest gamer ever, um, you, then you don't deserve to finish anything. Um, double fine wants to kind of set, like change the philosophy and be like, you invested your time, you invested your money. You should be allowed to experience this all the way to the end and take as much time as you need. So that that's the story. I want to get your, your thoughts on that as, um, as an experience. I'm kind of torn, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, you know, I'm, and I'm going to go back 35, 40 years now, but, you know, I still play Contra, and I still use the 30 lives, you know, extra code, you know? Um, and that's the only way I ever got through that game. Um, and I, I played that game multiple times because of it. But there are games like I've never beat Mike Tyson. I don't even know if I technically ever made it to Mike Tyson. And I realize, people, I am using those examples. Yes, I've played other games after them. Uh, and I have had other systems. But cheat codes are one thing. And and I, I get that. And I would never have made it through Contra had I not had the, the 30 lives extra code. Uh, 
at the same time, I do wonder, like, what's the experience if you're just going through it and you're invincible the whole time? So isn't part of the fun of the game being that, you know, you've accomplished something and uh, overcome whatever the, the, the challenge is? Like, isn't that built into the time that you're playing it? I, I would agree with that. I think I think what you're saying is valid, and I just want to let you know that my uh, my stats against Mike Tyson is um zero and seven thousand, and I beat uh, Mister was Mister Macho Man, who was the guy that you had to beat to get to Tyson. I beat him once, <laughs> or, or Super Macho Man. So that was one in six thousand nine hundred ninety nine times, whatever. So yeah, I, I never I never beat Tyson. Um, Contra, I think I, if there's people that beat that game on three mans, that's fine. You know, like they, they got good. We did not get good. Um, but at least with the 30 man code, um, there's still the potential that you wouldn't be able to finish the game because you like that game just chews through like lives like crazy. Mm-hmm. But um, so I, it's almost the same thing. Like you go to the arcade and you remember the beat em ups like the Simpsons arcade game or the Ninja Turtles one, the four player ones or the X Men one. Oh, I love those games. Yeah. But if you keep putting quarters in, you'll win. Right. I don't think I ever technically, even though I kept putting quarters in technically one. But if you <laughs> if you had enough money, because those games like you could just keep going until you finish yeah. the game. So is that is you know is that is there a different value there because you physically put money into a machine to continue it? Or, you know, so I think I think that's kind of the same thing, but also at the same time, uh with so Maybe not every single game needs this invincibility toggle. Like there's a, there's some games that are like out there right now that the people like you, you get your street cred if you're able to actually successfully finish them. Right. And that's whatever, if you beat the Bishop of battle or whatever the hell it is. Right. Um, so that's like, and you're not, there's not going to be a, an invincibility toggle in like call of duty, like an online shooter or like overwatch. Cause that, <laughs> that, w- that would be maddening. Um, but, and then I would go crazy. Um, but I think with these games where they're like a single player campaign um, and all these people take all this time to develop this experience behind the scenes, all the artwork, all the storytelling, which is what Double Fine's kind of known for, um, then don't like, wouldn't it be like, it would be like uh, seeing Black Widow and then someone comes in and be like, I'm sorry, you weren't paying attention good enough. You don't get to see the last 20 minutes, but you paid your money to have this experience. You know, like, I don't know where the right answer is. I think I think I'm torn like you. I, I can see that. I, I do. You know, I guess if you're putting it in the the uh, hands of the, the, the game player or the viewer, you know, that makes sense. I, I try to think of, you know, the last game that I probably beat uh, that uh, is easily probably from 15 years ago, maybe longer uh, would be Halo. Mm-hmm. Um, the first Halo, um, and I don't know how many iterations there have been since, but the, the first Halo is probably the last game that I beat. And I don't know that I did that on my own. I think I may have beat it the first time that I beat it uh, playing co-op with my partner in the center slash Ryan Cassandy because he was the one who introduced the game to me. Was he the one driving um, the Warthog because those things are really hard to drive where you're just like, I'm just going to shoot things. Is that what it was? <laughs> he, he would he would drive the Warthog. That's a... <laughs> Interesting uh, observation, but uh, you know, I I guess if it if it's not detracting from somebody's, um, I don't think it should be for every game. But if it's not detracting from people's enjoyment, I guess. But I, I do say that you know, gaming has changed so drastically that I don't really know 
a lot of times at the helm talking about like you were mentioning Overwatch, you know, I, I would imagine if somebody had just in, invincibility, you're playing against other players yeah. in that's what live scenarios, like, correct? Yeah, that would be like if they're unkillable, then there's no way to, to I mean, you could still potentially um, like complete objectives, but it'd be like near impossible to do so. But I'm just saying, and it, like that's a multiplayer shooter, so that's different. But there's also that toxicity of like get good that shows up there mm-hmm. as well. And I think Double Fine's trying to say like, hey, you know, we're we're going to go a different path. Um, and especially like something like Psychonauts, which I know you don't know what that game is, but it has a lot of platforming, at least the first one did. And by, well, you know what I mean by platforming, like a lot of time jumps and things. Um, so, uh, you know, like Super Mario Brothers uh, or Contra, mm-hmm. you know, but so there's a lot of that timing that happened there too. And, and then you're dealing with other things as well, you know, so it is a little bit more, you know, action oriented, but I mean, if it's a single player experience, I should not be a tell, be allowed to tell somebody how to experience their media, I guess, in the sense of like, um, I know that I've kind of waffled back and forth with how I watch movies sometimes where like, I don't know, sometimes I don't have the patience to sit through like full two and a half hours. So I'll, I'll watch the first hour. I'll get up and do other things and come back to it. That will probably drive some people nuts. Um, but Sometimes I yeah, need but that. You can still yeah. save games, right? You can yeah. get to a checkpoint and save the game. So that's no different. Yeah, right? but I'm but I'm finishing the journey the way I want with the film. You know, yeah. like so as opposed to the the director's intended. You know, like you're gonna sit here and watch this whole thing. So um, I think this, and also you got to consider too something that um, there's two other big things that are coming into play that as gaming itself evolves and the gamers themselves change, you're getting into um, a generation that's aging and getting older. You know, so maybe, maybe our reflexes aren't what they once were, you know? Uh, so maybe they still like playing games, but don't want to have that such rigid, you know, like just level of, um, you know, difficulty. And then you're also going to consider there's a lot of people that love games that have, um, you know, uh, disabilities, right? So maybe there's ways, and I know Microsoft has done a good job of having adaptable controllers and things as well, but maybe somebody it, just the way the game is set up they're physically incapable of being able to finish it the way that it is for most. But if you have this toggle, you will still be able to finish it and have fun playing this game. You know, maybe that's other thing too to consider. Yeah. And I was just thinking about this as you were talking, you know, part of the experience for me, one of the reasons that I, I don't have a current gaming state. I was going to say station because I'm an old man, but uh, a system. Uh, Wait, I, is, I don't have the most recent cartridge players. That would, like, that's what gets you. <laughs> you know, uh, for me, part of the issue is is that I'm afraid of the time that would be involved for me to get good at a game. Like you were just talking about the get good thing. You know, I don't have, and it's not like oh, I've got such a highfalutin life, but I'm like, I'm at a point in my life where I'm like, I've got to prioritize the things that I want to do and. You know, if I want to do a podcast and try and do artwork and work my normal job and not have my wife kill me, like something's got to give. And if I came home and just sat and played video games all day, like your wife's a gamer, so she's far more understanding about it. But my wife, I think, would at some point just, you know, kill me in my sleep if all I did was come home and try and get good at a video game. So, like, I have to play in small doses when I do play, which is why old games are perfect for me, because I can play, uh, you know, Super Nintendo, um, any game that's on there for 20 minutes, half hour, maybe even an hour, 
and be done. And that's the experience for me. Whereas, you know, I might have to play Death Stranding for 16 hours before he's not walking around. Or I guess he is technically walking around. The oh, no, you're going to play 16 like, hours before. It's like, you're gonna be like, everybody's still talking. Why is everybody still, yeah. why is everybody still talking? Yeah, anyway, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So for me, it is a time issue. So I, I understand it from that aspect. But again, I don't know if I'd really feel like I'm experiencing the game if I'm like, well, I can do anything I want. I'm I'm in not God mode, but I'm well, in, remember there in was the, there was the cheat code for Doom, the original Doom for God mode. Right. And it's like, that's not fun anymore for me. I'm mm-hmm. not saying so. You, I think you and I agree. I I just think it's an interesting story because Double Fine is trying to think of like, you know, not everybody's going to feel this way. Other people have other challenges. And, and, you know, they're in a position, this is, this is our product. We can give people the option to do this or not. And even, and even so, like there might even be situations where there just might be like one area that's utterly impossible for you to get past. You toggle it, you get past it, and then you turn it back off again and you move on and you keep playing. Like maybe that's the other thing too. I don't know. But, um, I like, I like the idea that there's this, this forward thinking of, you know, your journey isn't everybody else's journey. We're going to give the potential for somebody else to still have a journey and you can use this or not. It's completely optional. It isn't gameplay dependent. I think that's where the good part of this is um, not get good, but just actual good. So, and double fine. They've all, they've done a pretty good job of always like thinking of, of, of doing different types of games and inclusive inclusivity and other things too. So that, you know, I, I think it was interesting when it was announced. Yeah, and I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to think about different aspects and different players and things like that. When, just when I hear, like, you can be invincible, like I, I'm like, well, isn't that just basically a cheat code? But, again, I use cheat codes, so what yeah. the hell do I know? <laughs> 30 mans. No, uh, so, all right. Um, one more story here, uh, and then we'll get to our, our feature talking about um, Near Dark. Or um, uh, I just want to say, like, like, After Dark. Vampires <laughs> After Dark. Um, all right. Invasion of the Podcast After, after dark. dark. Yeah. Uh, Pale Boy Summer. All right. Now, um, <laughs> I'm not going to read the headline because the way the AV Club wrote it, it gives away everything. But um, so I'm going to read the, I'm gonna read the article to you. Most secrets uncovered by poking around the home are bizarre, vaguely horrifying things, like they said, like entire hidden rooms, strange basements. While these discoveries might be frightening enough to dissuade people from searching deep within their living spaces for potential mysteries, one man in Michigan has shown just how well things can turn out by uncovering, to date, 160 bowling balls buried behind his back steps. I'm sorry, what now? He, this guy, he found 160, so far 160 bowling balls buried underneath his back steps, like his backyard. I mean, I feel like that would take like a large space to do that. Okay. So you have questions. I, I'll give you. Here, I, well, I, yes, I have questions. But. <laughs> I have some answers for you. Like, look at that. Okay. I actually have answers because I'm reading somebody else's reporting. Uh, USA Today recognizing uh, the story when when it you know they reported that 33 year old uh, David Olson's discovery of a real treasure trove during his home renovations Olson was recently ripping up the steps outside his house when he happened upon a black sphere buried in the sand behind some cinder blocks. Well, not quite as cool as like excavating like an unearthly item like filled with strange alien knowledge. Uh, this black sphere turned out to be the first of many many bowling balls planted beneath his house. The deeper I got into it, Olson says, the more I realized it was just basically an entire grid work of balls making up the weight in there. After a day spent uh, recreating 
Um, the, the magician's endless handkerchief trick with dirt-covered bowling balls. I love the AV Club. Olsen ended up with 160 of them. He thinks he's pretty much cleared out that section he was digging in, but he believes there are definitely more where the first 160 came from. <laughs> Apparently. What? Yeah, so there, there's an answer coming. Apparently, these filthy old balls originated from a nearby Brunswick bowling ball plant where... Uh, Olson was told by former workers, employees would take defective items to use as a cheaper alternative to gravel or sand in building projects. Uh, so the ones he dug out are all marked to indicate they're no good for actually playing with. Um, though, and so he actually inquired with the manufacturer of Brunswick asking if they're toxic. They're not. So um, he was just trying to do some renovations. Whoever originally like either built this house or reset the backyard, like worked for Brunswick. And they just used a bunch of bowling balls to kind of like to like to for like, you know, building purposes. I mean, I'll applaud them for ingenuity, I guess. It's just so weird. Right. Am I, am I wrong in that? No, no, no. It's like, no, no, it's right. Like, like I, I would lose my goddamn mind if I was like trying to pull plants out of my backyard. and be like, <laughs> Oh, I found a bowling ball. That's weird. And it's like, okay, let me just like, like oh, there's another one. Well, that's all. like. Around like ten, I'd start being like, "Is this going to end? Is this my life now?" You know, <laughs> like, um, yeah. So he, he's is a good sport about it. He said, uh, "What was it? Um, he's going to use them as edging for his landscaping, might as well, or and to make sculptures." Uh, he's also given a bunch of them to his stepdad to use as custom furniture legs. That's a fun idea. And also here, you're gonna like this. This also raises more questions. He donated eight to a nearby church to use a bowling ball cannon at a pig roast. I need to go to this thing. I don't know if they're shooting him at pigs or whatever, but that, that is, that is some uh, American bullshit going on there. That sounds crazy to me. I want to know what's happening at this pig roast. It sounds scary and fascinating all in one shot. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, uh, Olson hasn't said what he might do if he starts working on another side of the house and finds a couple hundred more bowling balls. (laughs) But we suggest this is the AV club. He spread them around his front yard as a security system capable of making any potential giant thief slip around and while they fall over. Like, <laughs> like to spread them out like marbles, you know, and if, if a giant comes, they're going to fall down. But yeah, 160, 160 bowling balls behind his house. That's far better than what I think they found in the dump that they thought all the Atari ET games were buried in. So, um, well, I mean, have you seen that documentary about that? Because they found a lot of things there, too. They found more than ET, though. They found like more than ET. They found other yeah. Atari games as well there. So there's a lot of. Uh, implications that this was just a big a product dump off by Atari to kind of you know cover costs, but yeah, I did watch it. I, I quite like uh, the author. I can't think of his name right now. Who showed up uh, to oh, talk about it? Yeah, in the, yeah, uh, yeah. He's a um, <laughs> he's a prolific writer. I don't yeah, know if you've heard of him. Yeah, I've never um, heard of him either. No, no. The George Lucas of our generation. I think people <laughs> call him. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> okay, everybody. He's talking about Ernest Klein. Ernest Klein somehow manages. He has nothing to do with this documentary. He shows up. He shows up and he's goddamn DeLorean. Like, I just love baiting you. I love I getting you to just be like, fine, I'm going to talk about it. No, but it's like he had he had no reason to be in this documentary whatsoever. You know, like, but other than that, it's like, hey, I'm in the area. I have my, I have my, uh, you know, my DeLorean uh, paid upon uh, <laughs> writing three incredibly shitty books. Yeah. Like, let me just go look at this. Let me go. Like, it would have been great if they'd been like, okay, Klein, you've been here to see us take all these uh, copies ET out. Now we have to fill this hole with something and we're bringing it, um, all the paperback copies of ready player two. And we're going to go dump it in here and just cover it up. Okay. Like, 
Yeah, that's I, that's what should have happened. Or Ready Player uh, One I, at that time. Yeah. Uh, on a on a similar note, though, I do wonder, like, if they dug up around the house that I grew up in, how many like buried Star Wars figures they would find. <laughs> how many Bespins? How many Bespin yeah. Luke's? Uh, like, I found one, and then I found three. <laughs> I have 160 Bespin <laughs> Luke's now. Uh, I'm planning on using them as edging in my yard. <laughs> I mean, I know in my my backyard growing up, uh, it was not uncommon to find um, railroad spikes. And some of the set plates that would go in when you'd like, you know, because there'd be four spikes to a side for a railroad mm-hmm. tie because there were um, there was a railroad line that ran through um, that part of where I grew up. Um, that was, you know, eventually it was, you know, removed, but there we'd find railroad parts like, you know, in our backyard if we dug a little bit. So but that's because something actually we knew about that, though. It wasn't like it was like, you know, like surprising to us. Yeah, I do think, uh, again, it's it's a little ingenuity. It's also a little crazy, but it's interesting to be like, I'm going to bury these bowling balls and use them. I just I wonder when the person that did this, when they got done, like they sat on the back steps, had a beer, and they were just like, yeah, I did pretty good. And then the thought went through their minds like, no one's ever going to figure out what I did. Like, you know, like, like, and I got away with it too, you know, whatever. Um but yeah, that's, that's just ridiculous to me. Like, but like, there's another article I read too, where like the guy, the guy who owns the house was actually like, he was a good sport about it. Cause he's like, well, at least a bowling ball is easy to move around as opposed to like, like dirt. So he's like, once I'd find them, he's like, I just pick them up and move them. So I was like, I guess that's fair, but I just think I would just lose my mind because there'd be so many questions, you know, as I was doing this, I'm like, is like, is this going to eventually, is this going to lead to like a pile of skulls that someone just used bowling balls to cover with? Like, where are we going with this? What's going to happen? <laughs> yeah, I do like that idea. And I think I've mentioned this on previous podcasts of the people who go and buy when they're remodeling their home, they buy like a fake skeleton at uh, you know, home Depot or whatever. And then they hide it in a wall and they're like, Oh, wait till the next homeowner comes in 30 years. <laughs> No, I think that's funny, but like, what if you did 160 fake skeletons? Like that would be like, uh, (laughs) I guess it would be funny. Um, but yeah, so there you go. That that's, uh, that's your news. We, uh, talked about some black widow. Uh, we talked about some video games and we talked about 160 bowling balls. So I think that, I think that's a pretty, pretty full news, uh, segment, everybody. Um, that's what we do here. We bring you answers and quality news. Our bellies are full with news. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Now let's just get on to uh, our conclusion of Pale Boy Summer in 1987's Near Dark. And now for our feature presentation. So tonight's feature presentation, continuing Pale Boy Summer, is 1987's Near Dark. Uh, If you're looking for a brief description of it, the internet movie database, which some of you may have heard of, describes the film as a small-town farmer's son reluctantly joining a traveling group of vampires after he is bitten by a beautiful drifter. I might alter that description a little bit, but we'll get into that when we get into the, the film proper. Yeah. Uh, the film is directed by Catherine Bigelow. For those of you who are familiar with her, uh, she is probably most well-known for either Zero Dark Thirty or The Hurt Locker. Uh, for me, the movie that sticks out to me is... Uh, um, Strange Days, which is a very interesting film from like 95, uh, starring Rafe Fiennes. Um, but she's made a lot of movies over her career. Uh, Paul, are there any like standouts for you with her, her as a director by chance or is, 
uh, is one of the ones that I mentioned, one that you uh, normally think of. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I know I'm aware of her. There's, there's just things that there's a lot of this that I've not seen. I mean, I mean, she directed Point Break, like so. Yes, that that one. Uh, How did I miss Point Break? See, I just there you go. Until I looked up the filmography, I own Point Break. I've been trying to get people to watch it with me because I just I want to watch that with people because I feel like it's the kind of movie to watch with people. Um, yeah, and like I've seen Strange Days. It's been a long, 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 long time. Uh, I've never seen The Hurt Locker. I know she won the Academy Award for that, and also got Best Picture. Um, but uh, what I really know her from is being um, like a really important. Um, influence and uh, partner to James Cameron regarding like uh, Terminator and aliens. And I don't think people give her enough credit for like, like um, their partnership. Cause she would get married to him after this film. Uh, but you could definitely see that they, they, you know, some of their output together, you know, is, is amazing. And has changed. Like it, it's a lot of it shaped what I love about movies, you know? Right. So I don't want to downplay her influence because it's, it's, it's very much there as much as people may not think about it with those earlier films from him. I think that's a good point to make. And I think, uh, it reminds me of Deborah Hill and John Carpenter. Uh, John Carpenter gets a lot of the lion's share of credit for, uh, a lot of his early, late seventies, early eighties work. And uh, Deborah, Par- Deborah, I almost said Deborah Carter- Carpenter. Deborah Hill is a huge piece of that, and I think that also gets often overlooked. So this may be a uh, a good comparison um, in that regard, uh, because you know Cameron has gone on to be you know a monster with Titanic and Avatar, um, and her contribution should not be overlooked. So brief aside, did you see that supposedly Matt Damon was offered a role in Avatar? at the time with uh, a guaranteed 10% box office gross. And he turned it down. Ooh, <laughs> no, I did not know that. I mean, I'm sure Matt Damon is fine, but my God, like, <laughs> think about that. Think about those like, what if moments, right? I'm sure he would have played like Jake Sully, which that would have probably been better, but whatever. Anyway, um, <laughs> no. So like, I do need to know more. I need, I need to watch more of, of her stuff as well. I just, I have not, but I am familiar with. Okay. Uh, Going on to the cast, the first cast member we're going to bring up here is uh, Adrian Pastar, who uh, he plays Jesse, I'm sorry, he plays Caleb Colton. Caleb Colton, uh, who's kind of the main character within the film. He's probably best known for his star-making debut in the film Solar Babies. Solar Babies, I don't know if you people remember, is uh, one of the best movies ever made and a movie that we talk about often on here. Uh, But uh, you also may know him as uh, Nathan from Heroes, the television show. He uh, was also Glenn Talbot on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He's, He's been in a ton of things. Um, I don't know that he's really been in something that has popped him uh, as far as like being a big name. Um, and I don't mean that disrespectfully. I just mean that like he's he's in a lot of things. He's much more of a character actor, maybe the best way of putting it. And, and I, I'm most familiar with him from being a Talbot in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because he actually gets a couple different arcs. And he's a really he's a great like Thunderbolt Ross stand in in a lot of ways. Uh, but he actually ends up getting more to do and I like him a lot. Um, and it was like it, seeing him here with Bill Paxton reminded me of they, they were also an agents and shield agents of shield together. 
So like that was like, wow, I didn't expect uh, all this Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. connections with this movie. But I, I do like him. Um, you know, again, not as familiar with a lot of his work. And and, and Steve was um, dripping with sarcasm about Solar Babies because <laughs> um, we covered that on our year of the knockoff with uh, Beyond Thunderdome, if I remember right. Yes. Uh, and somehow Beyond Thunderdome came out on top. <laughs> well, two entered, one left, you know. Um, <laughs> Uh, so you mentioned Bill Paxson we'll cover him next. Bill Paxson, uh, as Severin in this movie, uh, Bill Paxson, for those of you who don't know, um, he's probably in every, or he's probably in at least one eighties movie that you love. Um, and that doesn't mean that his career doesn't extend beyond the eighties, but like he's a bit role in Terminator. He's a, a larger part in aliens. He's, um, in, Excuse me, I'm trying to get through this without burping. Uh, <laughs> no, not if you say if he was Chet, Chet from yeah, wild, perfect, yeah, from weird science, wild science, weird science, yeah, yeah, weird yeah. science. Uh, you know, he's also in everything from like Titanic. He's the the guy who's one of the the film crew making the documentary. He's in True Lies. He's he's all over the place. He's in Twister. He's in um, a simple plan. He's he's he made a ton of great movies, and he even directed a great movie that Paul will someday be challenged on called Frailty. Uh, so I just uh, Bill Paxton is usually good in whatever he shows up in, and he, this is no exception. Yeah, I mean you you did forget to mention his greatest role, which was uh, uh was it Coconut Pete and uh, uh Club Dread? I think that was his name. So <laughs> um, I, well, I also I also love him in Commando. Um, he's, he's intercept officer and he's literally on the screen for like 30 seconds, but I just, it's always like, Hey, Bill Paxton, whenever I watch, (laughs) have you seen club dread? I know people are divided about that movie, but, um, I love him as coconut Pete, which is basically uh, Jimmy Buffett, like a Jimmy Buffett knockoff. He's great at it. I don't know that I've seen all of club dread. I feel like I've seen pieces of it, but that's a, that's a broken lizard movie, right? Yeah. There's a point where they're at this this beach and, uh, this one girl's like play Margaritaville. And he's like, I think you mean Pina Colada Berg. She's like, no Margaritaville. He's like, I think you mean Pina Colada Berg. Like he's just, <laughs> but yeah, Bill Paxton yeah. is really a delight in any movie that he shows. Whether he's playing a raving asshole or he's playing a chicken shit uh, marine guy, like he's he's amazing. And, and pretty much everything that he did, he brought so much character to all the roles that he played. And uh, uh, he's he's somebody who I think is, he, I, and it was only within the last five years that he passed, and it's, he's still severely missed. I think absolutely. So next up, we have uh, Jenny Wright as May. Uh, she is uh, her her career seemed to end somewhere in the the early two thousands. Um, for me, the other thing that I know her from uh, well is the movie The Wildlife, which uh, we my wife and I uh, revisited for uh, New Year's Eve. We always watch an eighties movie, and it was an eighties movie she hadn't seen, and I hadn't seen it in like twenty years. Um, but she's a character in that. Uh, she's also in St. Elmo's Fire. Uh, she's in uh, Young Guns 2. She's in I, Madman. Uh, she's she's uh, g- kind of from like mid-80s to um, the early 90s is where her career was really the biggest. And then somewhere after that, I think she maybe retired from acting or you know went into another um, 
field, but she's also in the lawnmower man. I thought yeah. I'd make mention of that. She's the lawnmower man. She's the lady who uh, seduces uh, Job, who is a, you know, a, a differently abled uh, man that does not have high intelligence. So do with that what you will. Played by Jeff Fahey. Yes. The, 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 <laughs> I was going to say the, uh, you know, the dream cake, uh, Jeff Fahey, but uh, he's such an interesting, weird oh, guy. I, like, I, I think I, that's more yeah. what I think of him as. Yeah. All right. And then uh, we've got a couple more cast members to cover here. Lance Hendrickson. Um, I mean, throw a stone and you're going to hit something that Lance Hendrickson's in. That's amazing. Um, I think the thing that I always think of him in, I mean, obviously aliens, aliens is the big one. Bishop and aliens is, is the big one. Uh, but there was a series that was tangentially tied to, uh, the X files in the nineties that he was a part of. And it, I, I think it only lasted a season. No, it lasted Maybe. a couple seasons. Yeah. Millennium Did lasted it? a few seasons. It actually made it to the millennium if I remember right. Okay. Uh, maybe, maybe not to the millennium. Anyway, it, it had like three or four seasons, but it was way darker than the X-Files. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to make mention of that, but I mean, if you pull up his IMDB, like he's got a ridiculous amount of credits. Um, we could go through them all and still be talking four hours later. Uh, he's also in the Terminator. I mean, he's a James Cameron regular, I would say at this time, uh, his, his career as well. Um, is there anything else that you want to say about Lance Hendrickson? Yeah, he has a good, um, and there's uh, the anthology film um, Nightmares from the <laughs> 80s. He has a interesting segment there where he's being chased by the potential uh, uh, truck of Satan um, <laughs> that has one of the more ridiculous uh, truck reveals in a movie. He's really good in that, though. He's playing a, um, a Catholic uh, priest that's lost faith, and he's being chased down by Satan's truck. Uh, he's good in that. Uh, he does a lot of, like, obviously a lot of voice work. He uh, had a important character in the Mass Effect series. So every time you hear him, I'm like, that's Lance Hendrickson. You know, it's like, I, you know, the, he's one of those guys, like, for me, even when he shows up, I'm like, it, he does take some, like, um, for hire, like, schlock um, direct-to-video or direct-to-streaming horror movies. But even when he's in those, it's like, he still classes up the joint. The dude's got to work. He's got to get paid. I like him. Yeah, I can't, I can't believe I skipped Pumpkinhead. Oh yeah, yeah um, right. Yeah, yeah. He's he's the main protagonist in Pumpkinhead, uh, and then uh, you know the uh, extremely stellar AVP. Actually, he might be the only bright spot of that movie, but we'll leave it at that. And this is where Paul's like, AVP is amazing. Nope. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good on that one. We're not going to argue about that. No, that is talk about a missed opportunity twice. You know. Anyway. Uh, next up, we have uh, Jeanette Goldstein uh, as uh, Diamondback. Uh, she's probably most well-known from Aliens as well. Um, and there's some controversy about her character, and I won't touch on that too much, but I will say that, uh, you know, I, I believe her as Vasquez, and we'll leave it at that. Um, but she's in everything from Lethal Weapon 2 to Terminator 2, uh, she's in Star Trek at, at, at different points of her career. She's in Fear and Lo uh, Loathing in Las Vegas. I think that uh, it's a testament to her as an actress, uh, all the different uh, roles she was able to play. Um, she's much more of a character actor as well, I think, uh, much more in line with, uh, say, Bill Paxton. But boy, really, really good in this movie and pretty much everything that I've seen her in. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I think all the things I've really seen her in are all uh, Cameron related. However, I see here that, um, that there's the, the, the Star Trek short treks, that thing that was on Paramount Plus, where it's like the newer Star Trek, like short little films. She was the voice of the Enterprise computer. That's cool. Like, that's, uh, I think that's fun. Uh, also, I see that, um, yeah, that's, I mean, she's done other voice work. She's done some stuff for video games as well. But yeah, I, I mainly know her from the Cameron stuff. Yeah, and then the last main cast member I'm going to mention is uh, Tim Thomerson, who, and I'll be I'll be honest, even though there are five of them, I don't know that I've ever actually seen all of a Trancers movie, but uh, I think that might be, at least in the crowds that we run in, is probably the thing that he might be known best as, Jack Death from the Trancers series, which is a low-budget series from the late 80s, early 90s, which... I believe Helen Hunt was also in. I think so. I've not seen the yeah. others as well. Those are uh, full moon productions, right? Yeah. Um, but he, he's got a very large IMDb as well. He's in places all over, the, uh, whether it's showing up in television shows or bit parts in movies. He's, uh, he's quite good. I think, I think of him, which is weird. I think of him from Trancers, even though I don't know I've seen an entire Trancers movie. Like he's, he was so iconic, I guess, on the box back in the day. For whatever reason, I just automatically associate him with that series. Yeah, I'm trying to look through. Like, I, I mean, I, obviously, I recognize him because he's that kind. Of, he has that kind of face. But I really, I don't have anything from from him that I would be able to call to. So that's on me. That's uh, you know, me and my, um, you know, uh, Tim Thomerson, um, you know, blind spot. Yeah, and that's not a detriment to him. I think he's also a character actor who, you know, like I said, if you scroll through his IMDb, he's in he's in all kinds of stuff. Like it's it's ridiculous. I mean, he's in in Iron Eagle, which I I don't remember him in Iron Eagle, but I also don't have like strong memories of Iron Eagle. Um, we've talked about watching it for the show, uh, but he's he's I don't know he's he's got like over a hundred credits. I think. Oh yeah. So he's, yeah. He's somebody that you'll know. He's he's that uh, that actor that you'd be like, I I know that guy. So, all right. So that that rounds out the main cast here. Uh, we can start talking about the movie proper. I, well, I just so, want to shout out one other character actor that I saw. He's in one scene. He's the plainclothes officer that stops Caleb and is like, <laughs> "You okay, boy?" That's Troy Evans. Which I was like, "Why do I know him? Why do I know him?" He plays a cop in like everything, but I know him best because I swear he was in the Frighteners. I think he was the sheriff in the Frighteners. Um, let me double check that though. Um, stand by, so, stand by. So the reason I know him while you're looking it up, I'll say this is, is he's in at least five seasons of the like 30 seasons that ER ran. I I'm, I'm joking with the 30 seasons. I think it ran 15, but he, he's a good chunk of ER. He's, a uh, uh, one of the actors on ER for a good long time. He was, uh, running the, uh, the nurse's station. Yeah. So yeah, he was Sheriff Perry in the Frightener. So it's like, cause it's just like he had like the same haircut and everything. And I'm like, I know him, you know, but you know, there's just some of those uh, character actors that it's always like, you, you know, you're in good hands when he, he, well, he was also an Ace Ventura. If you look at his IMDB photos. Okay. He was one of the dolphins, uh, like assistants or something. That's Oh funny. yeah. Yeah. I do remember that now, but yeah, he, he was on ER, which did run 15 seasons. So it looks like he was in like a lot of the episodes. Yeah. So, Troy Evans. There you go, everybody. Go go out and support your local, local Troy Evans. Um, so, yeah. 
So yeah, yeah. yeah. There we go. So we we've we've given you a breakdown of the cast and people. This is a a change for us. Sometimes we move right into the movie proper. You can let us know if you want us to give a little bit more detail on the film before we start talking about it, or if we you like us jumping right into it. But I thought maybe maybe we should make the attempt to to kind of cover some of the cast, particularly with the cast is well-rounded in this, this film. Well, that this also comes on the heels of the, the production of aliens, right? So there's a lot of, a lot of the cast are brought over. And I guess, according to the trivia, Cameron, you know, suggested to, to Bigelow, like, Hey, you get these people involved. And it's like, and they already had chemistry. Uh, they already, you know, knew how to work together. And it's like, why not? Right. They were already in a bigger, like a bigger budget sci-fi thing. Like they, they know genre. So I think that's all good. And you're right. It's good to, to speak to this cast. Cause it is, it's, it's a great cast. And, um, I didn't like, I'll just be upfront. Like I, you and I had never seen this before. Um, we, like we talked earlier at the beginning of the episode about like, maybe it was an availability thing. I don't know. Um, but I didn't have any expectations going into this other than I saw the cast. I didn't know what I was getting into. And that's a rarity for me other than I knew it was a vampire film. So mm-hmm. I don't know how much you knew about it. I knew very little, and actually playing into that, my question to you is, is all the promotional materials that I've ever seen, whether it's a poster or somebody posting about the movie, they always focus on Bill Paxton. Did you think Bill Paxton was going to be the main character in the movie before watching it? Um, Yeah, but also like that poster art, look, he looks really goopy, you know, like really like described, which I mean, we find out why later, right? What happens, but... I thought this was going to be like whenever I said, I think I get this confused with Nightbreed because that's also a much more grotesque in terms of like, you know, what the, I don't like it's more monster I don't, different. Right. So I thought, I don't know why I, I thought this was going to be a little different, you know, different movie, but I didn't, I didn't, Bill Paxton was on, you know, the, he's the lead. Sorry. He's the guy on the poster. You're right. I didn't really think about it though, because I've seen the images. Uh, also, too, when I was looking up the film, um, you you know how like fan art's this thing now where everybody has to make a print, you know, of a movie. But like Mondo has a style that they do, or they they mm-hmm. they have people do it. Um, there was a Mondo esque print of of the uh, the shot of Caleb at like towards the beginning of the movie where he's crossing um, like the, the, the rows of like, you know, whatever it is, the farm, it's dust and he, and the smoke's coming off of him. Like it's all done in silhouette and it's a really cool looking print. So that's what got in my head before I started watching it. I'm like, I don't know what's going on with the Marlboro man, but he's smoking a lot and I want to find out. Well, it, that's interesting. You say that for me, everything that I've ever seen promotionally for this film always focuses on Bill Paxton. So I, I assumed that he was, the lead or at least the main villain. And in watching this, it's much more of an ensemble piece. It's, I, I mean, you can, you can easily argue that, uh, you know, Adrian Pastar as Caleb is the protagonist. Sure. But I expected Bill Paxton to have a much larger role and that's not to diminish the role he has in the film, but I thought that this was like his first big, like starring vehicle. And it's still very much a, an ensemble piece. Yeah, but if this is the thing that kind of got if if it if it showed him if it showed people what he's capable of doing the bar sequence, this this was the resume builder here, right for him. Like this was, I um this his his performance here was a revelation for me in the sense that like I I loved Bill Paxton. This was just like 
like not just to 11, it was like, you know, to 13, 14 with like the knob ripped off. Like it was amazing. And it's like, it just made me wonder like why he wasn't given more opportunities like this. Cause he's a really scary dude in this movie. I do wonder about that. I remember, and I, I keep bringing up frailty, but I do remember at the time frailty came out, he talked about the fact that like, he thought his career was going to go into a different direction than being a character actor. He thought he was going to be more of behind the camera kind of guy. And it just happened to work out that he got more and more acting roles. And I'm curious to know, like, were there things that he was presented that like, cause he doesn't, I think really take off in a larger role until we hit the nineties. Um, in the sense of like, you know, he's headlining, say, Twister with Helen Hunt, you know, yeah. uh, which is a big, you know, tornado movie. Um, uh, beyond that, I think he's playing much more character roles and much more uh, co-stars as opposed to leading the film. And, you know, I wonder if that was by choice or if it was based off of his career. Because I, I, I can't imagine there's anybody who might get hired by James Cameron who doesn't get a callback because James Cameron, at least for the most part, hit everything out of the park. You know, I, I, it's, it's like success breeds success, I think. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if he was offered things where it's like, he was like, you know what, this isn't what I want to do. I'd rather stay and be this interesting character actor. Cause I feel like the same thing about Lance Henriksen, you know, he's almost the lead of the villains, if you will. But I don't know that he takes either a front seat or a back seat to Bill Paxton and the other characters. It, it feels very much, very even is, is I guess the word I would use. Yeah. And maybe, maybe those opportunities you're talking about, maybe like he wanted, like you said, behind the camera. So maybe taking these other, other roles in other productions, got him more access to, uh, experience and knowledge and job, like in terms of like, well, I'm, I want to learn how to do this. So I'm going to take this job as opposed to like go towards a particular genre, you know, who knows. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but I, I really liked him in this. Um, but you, I think, so with that being said, um, with this being a vampire film, this being Pale Boy Summer, um, what what did um, how did you feel about the way vampires were presented in this film versus other things we have seen? I don't know that I have a, a solid thought on that in the sense of they're very much still the way a lot of vampires are portrayed, and I think. I kept contrasting this just simply because it came out in the same year, but I, I kept contrasting this against the lost boys. Well, uh, that I, would be, I that'd be that, a good two film connect like a couple, like bookends. That would be a wonderful double feature. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I feel like the lost boys, which is a movie that I'm really familiar with, I think is the vampires in that are also sort of offshoots of the traditional lore, which I kind of feel like this is, but it's not such an offshoot where Martin is to the point where you're questioning, like, is this just a guy who's crazy? Um, which was last week's film. People, I apologize if I didn't make that leap in, in logic. But, you know, when we were watching March, Martin for last week's episode, it was there was there's it's never sewn up to you uh, that Martin is or isn't a vampire. And there are so many inconsistencies with the lore we know and so much so that they point them out with with here. It's like, okay, it's it's vampires, but they're also dirty and they're, uh, you know, dressed in leather and they're driving around in an RV with aluminum foil over the windows and 
you know, they're keeping out of the sunlight, but at the same time, we, 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 we tend to think of them being more romantic where I feel like this is vampires without any romanticism. It's all stripped out in that regard. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I like, I, so I guess I was taking it back. You talk about like lore and, uh, and rules, right? Like there's like all these things that we're supposed to like assume about vampires and credit to, to Bigelow and, um, uh, the screenwriter, uh, Eric red, that they, they left a lot of a vague, but not like vague in the sense of where they hinted at things. It was just more like, it just wasn't addressed. Like, yes, sunlight's a big deal in this movie, right? So we know that, uh, we know that feeding's a big deal. We know that they're immortal. And they have like, you know, superior strength. We know all these things. We we also know that if you're bitten at a specific age, you're stuck at that age, particularly uh, with the young character. um, Homer. (laughs) Yeah, Homer. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that I realized his name is Homer until you just said it and I looked at the IMDb. But yes, Homer uh, is stuck uh, at a uh, he's early teens. Yeah, like, yeah, Uh, like. 11 or 12 or something like that. Maybe. Okay. Um, yeah. But yeah. So, and then also we know that the moment you're bit, you're, you're, you know, whatever it is going on is pretty quickly. Cause we know whenever, um, Colton gets bit his, you know, it, it starts affecting him like almost immediately, which led, well, I want to talk about that, that, um, that meat cute. I'm going to put that in heavy quotes, air quotes before we get back to it. But I liked that supposedly in the trivia at one point, um, one of, one of the, the, the pack of vampires when there's, uh, in the hotel room and they're getting ready for a shootout, one of them holds up a gun that has a cross on the hilt like on the, um, like on the handle. So it's kind of like pointing out like religious imagery doesn't do anything to these guys. Like there's not going to be like, you even see them like, you know, eating food to a degree, unless they're faking it. I know, um, we got Colton having his candy bar moment, but he, he wasn't feeling well anyway. So there's a lot of that. That's kind of like, I, I just, the idea that like, um, I like that it was a lot of it stripped away. Cause then you didn't have to like overthink like, well, how are they going to handle all this? Like, it's just, they're dirty. They're on the run their family as messed up as it is their family. And they have their own rules for survival. This I will, I, I, I guess I'm getting to like, I, I'm tipping my hand here. This is one of the smarter written, uh, like movies like this I've seen in a long time. Like the thought process that went into like, well, if they are going to travel around in the daytime, how are they going to do it? And I, like the fact that they're like bringing foil and spray paint with them everywhere. Like they mm-hmm. have their, their, their bug out bags of like, we're going to steal the car and, and darken the windows. That that's a thought out process. I like that. Like there was some um there was some real world lived in realities of dealing with this. Um, like how when they would go hunting and they gave Homer his bicycle that he would just like throw on the ground and act like he got hurt, because that was like the way that he got people to pay attention to him for him to hunt and to give him leverage. Like there's just some good there's some really good thinking that went into this. Then that's not always the case with um you know, with horror movies, like you just get to the kills, right? I think you actually got a, um, a, a look at the life of this family, um, which is kind of, and it's not romanticized. I think that they that's a very good point. This isn't the, the Cullen family. Right. So, <laughs> you know, cause I, know, I wasn't you know, thinking that in particularly, but sure. But you know what I mean though? Like, yeah. I think you got like, I mean, it's a toxic family, but it is a family. Uh, they do look out for their own, but like that's just, but they're also monsters. Uh, like we get the idea that may, you know, she she's part of the family, but she, you know, she wants more. Um, but yeah, like I, I think everything you're saying there is really, really interesting. I do like, so, um, whenever Caleb is like bit originally in crossing the dirt fields 
and he has his big leather jacket on his cowboy hat and whatever because he isn't like full vampire yet like how he's just smoking in the sunlight that's such a cool idea to me like i you know, he was looking like he was going to eventually become barbecue, but it was going to take a while versus these other ones that like, you know, they've been around on earth for a long time. Just a little bit of sunlight's going to send them up like a, like a Roman candle. I liked that. I thought that was neat. I liked, uh, the playing with the tropes, uh, very much in the same way that Romero played with the tropes and Martin. Uh, I, I, I want to go back though, to the beginning of the film yes. where we first meet Adrian Pastar's character, character of Caleb uh, when he's pulling into um, I guess the local bar I think is where he's stopping it's like a little area just a row of businesses or whatever and his friend comes out and it's like you think they're enemies and they're not but it's just like well your friends are kind of dicks um, I don't know if you got that vibe but I oh I no did. no every they were all um, just shit heel townies that's all yeah. they are yeah <laughs> Shitfield Townies might be the best way to describe it. But then May comes walking out of an ice cream store. And this was, oddly enough, for some reason I did happen to notice this. She comes out, she's got like an ice cream cone. And he walks up to her and like, he's trying to sweet talk. And he's like, can I have a lick or something along those lines? And like, she hasn't really touched that ice cream cone, which for all of us who have ever had like a soft serve ice cream comb, you got to work on that thing quick. Yeah. You, yeah. You do. <laughs> <melt>. <laughs> yeah. You got but priorities like there. Yeah. It looks like maybe like a bite's been taken out of the top, but it still looks like a perfect ice cream cone. Um, and I thought of that in the sense that you were saying with the, you know, candy bar incident that happens later with Caleb when he's hungry and he tries to eat just a candy bar and realizes like it tastes like shit to him now. I'm wondering, like, is, yes, she's an attractive woman, but is the ice cream cone bait or is she just like, I'm, I'm adding a topper onto myself as bait to draw this person in. Maybe the other, the other thing that I'll say in that, that regard is, is that like, even though she's the one who's trapping him, um, and again, it's looking through, uh, through the lens of it being 2021 and not 1987, Caleb's a little date rapey. Oh, not uh, just a little. No, he's very date rapey. And that's why <laughs> it was hard for me to like, I, I never really came around on him as a character. I liked, I understood his conflict in terms of like, we'll, we'll talk about that more in a second. Um, and I, I, and I, and I believe that he cared about his family. Right. But it's like, dude, you're, you're cruising, you know, you're cruising for some tail and you see this girl that's from out of town and then you go to take her in the middle of nowhere and show her a horse and the horse didn't like her for reasons. Um, and then you lasso her like, come on. And then she's like, take me home. And he's like, but you know, and then at one point he's like, oh, well you're freaking out right now. I'm going to hide my keys and my shirt. You need to give me a kiss. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. Like that's, you do not do that. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's endearing. I don't think it was endearing then. I think, I think having a, uh, a female uh, uh, screenwriter and director really got the, the skeeziness across, you know, like I think had this been a film like just directed by a man, I think you would have had maybe some of the, the easy breeze by tropes of like boys just being boys. I don't get that. I don't think, uh, Catherine Bigelow was letting him, get a pass on this you know that's that's how i feel and what's weird to me about that is is that 
I, as I'm watching it, I'm like, okay, it's 1987. Try and keep that in mind. And because we've all run into it now with uh, movies from the past where it's like, oh, there's some things in here that just don't <laughs> hold up to today's standards in the sense of. Uh, we're more aware of what, you yeah. know, the, the shitty things that we thought were played for comedy, uh, <clears throat> revenge of the nerds, which I just, that movie, right. that movie's a whole ball of problems as much as I own a Lambda, Lambda, Lambda shirt that I should never wear again. <laughs> but the point that I'm making is, is that, uh, I wasn't sure if it was played when I was watching it. I'm like, do they know what the intent is here? Like, aren't we supposed to be on Caleb's side? Because by the time he gets back bit you're like uh, he's kind of an a-hole and then jenny then takes i'm sorry may i'm using her real name may takes sort of uh not a shine to him but she feels responsible for him being turned into a vampire um and they sort of build a carrier character arc around the two of them throughout the rest of the film so i'm like well are we supposed to believe that that was her just not coming on to his charming advances or was it supposed to be presented as like yeah Caleb's not really a good guy because he doesn't realize that the things he's doing are really uncool no because he was being a monster and then he happened to be with a monster you know like quote unquote I'm not like whatever like she was she's afflicted let's just put it that way as a as a vampire and then no means no Caleb yeah right and then (laughs) but then even later like their relationship gets really complicated in a hurry because like after he goes home to try to like, you know, while well, he's trying to go home, it gets picked up by, you know, um, the RV, which the V stands for vampire. Uh, like when they get just pulled, like when they showed up and just pulled him in, I was like, I don't know where this movie's going, but I dig this. This is crazy. I, I loved, uh, this, um, like originally the intent, Catherine Bigelow and, um, and Eric Reed, I think it's his name. I keep, I keep forgetting it. I apologize. They wanted to make a Western and, uh, Eric Red, sorry. Uh, and they were told like, Hey, Westerns are kind of out of like out of fashion right now. And then like, they're like, okay. So they're like, well, what is, what is popular vampire movies? So they did some genre mixing here. Uh, but you could tell that they like the setting, uh, just some of the, like just how dusty everything is and how like, like just dirty, like we talked about that, like it all permeates. Right. And you even have, you know, uh, freaking, uh, Caleb, just be this, you know, like shit heel that's in the small like town. I, I think it's Oklahoma, Texas, wherever America, whatever. Um, and then you got this roving band of, um, you know, outlaws, right. That just pick them up on this RV and they're like, well, we got to deal with you now. Cause you're, you're a problem. Like I, I was in with this movie within like the first 15 minutes. And I, I, I like, but the relationship between Caleb and may gets really complicated, like mm-hmm. in a hurry. Um, and so that, that does color my, I guess I never really come around to Caleb being like the good guy. He just, he's just in the middle of this problem that he, some of it's self-inflicted. Some of it was like, well, you, you were searching for something and you're willing to take advantage of somebody and now you've been taking advantage of. So how do you handle that? That's an interesting way of looking at it. And not one that I had really thought of. Uh, I like the idea of him not being, I often tend to think of a protagonist often as being the good guy within the story. And I realize that, you know, you've got protagonist and antagonist. I don't technically know that Caleb's any better than the vampires. He doesn't come from any sort of a moral high ground or a better, you know, 
point of view uh, other than he's just a victim of circumstance and now he has to deal with this which i feel like may is also at the beginning of the film a victim of circumstance even if she's if we're taking the the idea out that she's a vampire she was a victim of circumstance because she met a guy who doesn't clearly understand signals yeah <laughs> might be you the know, best way well, she keeps it. telling him to shut up and listen to the night you know like whatever and if the horse the horse is book you know books it and he's like well what's going on she's like uh horses don't like me it's like no okay maybe that's uh you know like just read the room there buddy uh but uh it's just but the whole thing so we're supposed to be on his side because you know he doesn't know what's going on and then uh, the the you know the vampire crew is like, well, we we don't need another mouth to feed, but let's just kill him. And and then they find out he's actually turned. Um, and so they give him five days to to make his first kill to actually prove that he's going to be with the family. And that brings up a dynamic I wasn't expecting of like mm-hmm. him struggling to do this kill, which is very much like the Lost Boys, of course, right with Michael. Uh, but the whole thing of like I like including lore. Um, they just kind of like, oh, well, vampires can feed each other. Um, that's not really something I see in a lot of movies because usually the idea is that their blood is like bad for the, like you can't just attack another vampire, right? But that's kind of one of those lore, like one, I don't know about you, but if you know, like if, if you've ever seen that, like why that's why vampires don't hunt each other because it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Your, your blood's ruined for me. I need blood from like a living person, but that's not what happens here. We get May... Um, like slitting her wrist and then giving uh, giving her wrist to um, Caleb, and it is very um, talk about uh, uh, taking advantage and like feeling uncomfortable about like um, um, consent. Like it's very mm. uncomfortable to watch those sequences that happen, especially with the imagery of the oil derricks in the background pumping oil and pulling resources. Whatever uh, Caleb's always knees just like just like you know making out with her wrist and her trying to help him live, but also like not die herself. But she's also kind of like looking up in the air. Like, I don't know if it's, um, if it's sexual, but it, it's really twisted. For me, there was a moment where I was watching it. And this is just because when my wife and I started dating, she was into, she'd read all the true blood books. Um, and she was very into the HBO show, which I think was only in its like second season when we started dating. So uh, I jumped in on watching the show and uh, there's a lot of um, vampires opening up their wrists so that somebody can suck from it to, um, at least within the the world of true blood, uh, if you're a human, it would kind of pass their ability to heal onto you like very quickly. Uh, So I I did make note of it as because my wife watched it with me. I, I, I was like, uh, I'm like, this is interesting. I'm like, I don't know that I remember running into this idea before True Blood. And I'm like, I'm sure somebody else could point out like, oh, no, this idea of, of drinking from the wrist of another vampire runs way before even Near Dark. But I'm like, I don't remember running into it before Near Dark. And the only other movie that I could think of off the top of my head was like, I'm like, maybe it happens in Interview with a Vampire. But I don't I don't know that I could go to a specific scene. But I do remember specifically thinking like, oh, this is this is that same idea, but 30 years before we get True Blood. So um, I, okay. I did find that quite interesting. And I do think it is supposed to be particularly in True Blood. It's very much played up as sexual um, because even after you take another vampire's blood, 
you then will find yourself like fantasizing about said vampire, uh, which sometimes also would play into comical situations on True Blood, where it was a character who had to take a vampire's blood who's still human and then would find themselves fantasizing about them. And it's not somebody that they would ever want to fantasize about. (laughs) Uh, But uh, it's an interesting idea here. And I do think it is played up sexually here. And I think that it also puts him in a position. And I I don't want to go into like dominant submissive, but like he's, he's clearly in the weaker position here, which technically he's been in the whole film. Well, yeah. But then think about that too. Like now that you mentioned that, um, like, because the whole thing is like, he can't bring himself to kill another person, but he has no problem with her killing somebody and him drinking her blood. Like mm-hmm. that is also a weird, like that's another thing too, where like at first, the first time when she like offers up a wrist, because like he, you know, he doesn't understand what's going on. He's hurting. It's like, I get like to stabilize him. And it's like, now, now the clock's ticking, buddy, you got to figure something out. But then it happens again. Cause he keeps failing and refuses to do so, which we're supposed to wait. I believe through the eyes of Caleb that we're supposed to view his, his inability to cross the the line and kill somebody as like the heroic choice, which I mean, yeah, don't kill people. They, everybody we're a firm, uh, you know, believer of don't kill people on the show. Um, but at the same time, he's still using her. Like, I don't know. Like the more I'm talking about this, the more I'm like, you know, huh. like, and then, it, it just he doesn't get out of this clean, even though it's kind of supposed to have this like a little bit of a happy ending. And we find out that a simple blood transfusion cures vampirism. Like I was about to call bullshit on that while watching this movie, but I'm like, but if you bite somebody, they become a vampire. So that's the same amount of hand waving <laughs> that goes into making a vampire as it would go into not making a vampire. So I just let it go, but, you know, like whatever. Yeah, I don't know that I bought the blood transfusion thing though. Like I, I understand that it's it, it's the same amount of hand waving, but like, why is that the cure? Like I don't understand. Uh, if you think of it in the sense of uh, like old timey medicine, in the sense of like you know, there's that meme that I think has gone around where it's like. You know, uh, or no, it was a Saturday Night Live skit in the the late seventies where it was like a doctor in prehistoric ages, where it was like uh, somebody who's like, "Oh, I've got a cold," and it's like, "Oh, you know what'll cure that is a good bleeding." <laughs> you know, like every ailment that came in, and they're like, "But I'm already bleeding." He's like, "No, wait till you bleed some more, you'll feel better." Like I, I feel like that sort of fits this, where it's like. Why is that the thing that cures vampirism? You know, like it would already be in your blood. Wouldn't have uh, an infection. And I, I'm kind of going into blade. Like if you look at it, vampirism as an infection, wouldn't there need to be something that would offset that within your blood, not just taking in blood from somebody else's and transfusion. I, I honestly believed whenever he, uh, he asked his father who was um, a farmer that it also like, he's like a vet tech or something like he understand he works on animals as well. So we get enough of that information at the beginning. It tells you enough in the film that you got it going. And he asked his father for a transfusion. I thought that was going to be his means to an end of like, I can still get fresh blood, but I don't have to kill somebody for it. I thought that would have been the interesting mm-hmm. hook of like, guys, there's a better way, you know, like, and um, whatever the movie works the way it is, but I thought that was where we're going to go with it. Um, but that also becomes like the premise of like daybreakers. I don't know if you've seen that film or not. I, I have not because apparently there are a lot of movies I haven't seen that I, I'm just too lazy to see, but I, I want to go back real quick yeah. about the idea of 
you know, it being a morality choice for him not to kill people. And it's something that I wrestle with now as somebody who's eaten meat for, you know, his 46 years of being on the earth. Um, I guess maybe the first year I didn't eat meat, but, uh, I still struggle with the idea sometimes where I'm like, you know what? Like if I hadn't been raised on meat, maybe I wouldn't make the choices and knowing like the horrific conditions that the meat industry has, um, no matter how humanely they supposedly do it or the conditions that the animals live in, I, I kind of finding myself struggling with that idea now. And if you look at vampires, it's sort of the same thing where it's like, they're just looking at you as like, you're a cow or a chicken that is waiting to be plucked. You know, your, your, I, I, your ability to reason and, 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 you know, have thoughts, um, and I, I don't want to go too morbid with this, but like if you look at other cultures that do eat, say, like dogs, like we have dogs here that are, you know, in, in this country, there are pets, there are best friends, you know, but we look at like other cu- cultures that are like, hey, we eat dog because it's something that can pro- provide us with protein and meat. It's not that different. And I, I, I know that I'm not making a clear correlation, but I, I, I do wonder about that. I think that that's the one thing that's interesting about vampires is, is like once you become a higher uh, predator on the chain of or, or on the food chain, like the the questions of morality, I think, go away. Well, that's and fair. I, yeah. And I think also like your empathy disappears, right? Because mm-hmm. if, if they're a need, a means to an end. Um, but I, I mean, I just think it's also interesting that you're talking about like there, that's the way they view things. It's a means to an end. I'm just going to put it back on Caleb. Like he was like, you're supposed to buy that they, they fall in love with each other and it, and, like, and their chemistry is okay. Like, I think that's perfectly fine. It's just that he keeps using her and it's like, like, is it any different though? I don't know. Like, it's just, it's when he lets the dude run away from the bar and it's like, and then it causes like the entire collapse of the second half of the movie, like per like, like that you need, you need a third act. Right. And that's what kicks this all into the gear. Um, like, I don't know. Like, I just, I feel like, you know, for someone that was like, you know, um, Tommy tough nuts and confident that he can get this girl, uh, and he, he's going to get what he wants. And now he's being told you have to do this and he can't do this one thing. I'm not equating. Oh God. I'm not equating, uh, you know, one sin is greater than the other. Like, cause I mean, like it would be horrible of me to be like, well, if he was going to day rape somebody, why can't he kill somebody? That's, that's not what I'm saying. I guess I'm just struggling with the dynamic of this character of Caleb supposed to be heroic because he was doing a shitty thing and he decides that he's not going to do another shitty thing. And because of that, we're supposed to be on his side. You know, it, it feels, that feels odd to me, I should say. Cause I don't know where his character develops because of that. I, I agree with that. I, I don't know that we ever get to a point where we're on Caleb's side, and I don't feel like the relationship between the two is earned, um, because I don't know, and boy, I can find a way to bring Star Wars into it any way that I want, but like that was my <laughs> biggest issue with the, the, the prequels, as I felt like, if you're presenting to me what the, the great tragedy of Darth Vader is, I should feel something for him and Padme. I feel I should feel this great romance is, is being destroyed by whatever's happening. And you never get to a point where you're like, he, he did this for her or that a, that she would ever really be interested in because Anakin is kind of date rapey himself. And I, I apologize folks for using that terminology, but like, I, I do feel like 
we never get to a point in Attack of the Clones where you feel like Padme would fall for Anakin. I feel the same way here. Yeah. I don't know that I, I'm like, well, does Jenny really like him or she just feel responsible because she picked him up and turned him without draining him dot dry before he died. And in a lot of ways, it also kind of feels like that one night stand that the other one calls the other and says, Hey, by the way, um, we need to talk. And they end, up, <laughs> they end up being like in a relationship because of like, you know, a possible pregnancy or something. You know what I mean? Like they get kind of shoved in to this thing that's like above, above their heads, but they, they have to figure it out together. But maybe it's like, you know, just because they're together, doesn't mean they, you know, they honestly care. I don't know. It's like, I get it. It's 87. And I know, I know we're supposed to get like this a little bit of a love story. Cause it's supposed to have a happy ending. Um, cause like once, once, um, you know, she gets the transfusion, um, and it's like, and she's like, they're fine. It's like, what's to say like within a day or two, she's going to be like, well, you know what? We really don't have a lot in common. Um, I'm, I'm going to go like, you know, like, like, it's just like, you know, it's like, I actually, you know, I'm not even from Texas. Like I, it would be funny to be like, Oh wait, this is your life. I got to go. Like, you know, I'm not from Texas. I'm from Dallas. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, no, the idea of been like, well, Caleb, what do you do for a living? Well, I just kind of sit in the back of my truck until nighttime. Then I go down to the, uh, the piggly wiggly and try to bum, uh, like cigarettes off buddies. And then, then maybe try to force some girls to have sex with me. And then she'd be like, Oh, so that's your life now. Huh? You know, like, oh, be, so you're kind of awful, Caleb. Great. Oh, okay, great. Good. <laughs> I, I did want to mention, uh, you, you mentioned earlier, because I, I feel like uh, we haven't talked about the highlights of the film. Yes. The bar sequence is amazing in this film. Um, they go into a bar, and I will say that Bill Paxton does a lion's share of the dialogue in it. Um, but there were two things that I wanted to mention. One is that uh, there's a gentleman who's at the bar that Bill Paxton sort of picks on and uh, uh, spills his drink and then makes him get another drink and then tells him to pay the the waitress because he's trying to prove a point to Caleb. Uh, That actor is also in Terminator 2. He's the cigar biker. (laughs) When he popped up, I'm like, that guy's from Terminator 2. Like, like, he's almost the same character. It's, It's kind of funny to me now. I'm like... It's literally the same guy who, who four years later is in the same role in another movie. Um, and in both, it's, it's, it does not go well for him at no, all. It does not. Uh, <laughs> so with this movie, only be like 90 minutes. Like the, the sequences that they let, that they let, that they let breathe this, this, uh, this bar sequence where like, uh, Hend- uh, you know, Lance Hendrickson crew, uh, take Caleb there and, and say, Hey, you got, you're going to make your kill tonight. And we're going to go to this, this, uh, bar in the middle of nowhere, and we're, you know, we're going to watch, but they're also like, basically like, we're going to serve this up on a silver platter for you. We're going to make this as easy as possible. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. cause pretty much that's what they try to do. Um, and, but this whole sequence is like, I don't even know how long it is, but it, it feels like it goes on a while and not in a bad way, but there's this, like, um, we've all been at a bar having a good time when a couple people come in that you're like, you know, you just get, you're like, Oh shit, something bad's going to happen. You know, people are like, and it's like for the moment these guys walk in, it's like, you know, it just goes from being like, oh, okay, how can I help you to like, you guys need to leave to, Oh God, we're all going to die. Aren't we? Like it is, um, played beautifully. And also Bill Paxton's character about how it's like the, the grosser he gets, the bigger his smile is. And it's amazing. I agree. He's he's really great in that scene, and the fact that he points out that he's trying to uh, 
teach a lesson to Caleb, uh, and Caleb is just basically getting the shit knocked out of him uh, by the guy at the bar is amazing. But the thing that stuck out to me, um, and I guess this goes back to the whole idea of you know people just being food for for vampires, is uh, you know Lance Hendrickson's character of uh, Jesse and Diamondback, uh, who's Jeanette Goldstein. They're sitting at a table. They just slit the throat of a waitress, and then like she falls like over half slumped, and they put a beer mug underneath her her throat so they can catch the blood. And like one, I I think of what I do know about how food is processed and how they drain the blood out of the bodies, but also um, it's a great analogy for like how they view human beings. Like it's it's beer to them you know what i mean yeah. in the sense of like it's not even food it's like yeah i need this to survive but also i'm gonna enjoy it while it's happening yeah and then the whole sequence leading up to it too where he's like no nah, just leave the glass she's like just the glass he's like yeah and then he's like that's when he pops her neck and it's like ugh. um so that that was really well done bill paxton just getting bloodier and bloodier was great um and then you even like you because you basically see how most of them operate and how they clear off this bar and kind of you know like everybody is, of you know, they, how, how they approach everybody, like how, uh, even you got, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, may, uh, how she ends up going to the one guy. She's like, yeah, she's like, slow dance with me. And the guy's just terrified, but she mm-hmm. shows how she, how she hunts. And then, you know, that's when Caleb's supposed to come up and be like, Oh, you're dancing with my girl. And then he, you know, lets the guy run away or whatever. But that whole thing just takes, it breathes. And I don't know if something like that would be made today where it takes a moment to escalate and then it just, and then it just plateaus and keeps going like for as long as it does. Like it was important to this movie to see them in their element. Right. Cause that's, we see them like previously, like, like a brief, like there's like a, a montage of how they go out at night. Like, uh, they're Bill Paxton wear that stupid, like, uh, like a, like a pastel blue or whatever, like, uh, with the, the long sleeve shirt with like a bolo tie, like picking up women alongside mm-hmm. the road. And then the kid, uh, the kid won Homer with his bike and having a, like an adult be like, are you okay? And then he attacks him. Like you have that montage that's, you know, right. But, but you actually get to see them operating as a unit. I think it was very important for us to see that and to see this is the life that, that um, Caleb is, you know, either he, he's going to be a part of it or they're going to kill him. And I thought that was uh that's an amazing sequence. And this is the point that I, I thought I, I what I should have made earlier and I don't know why I didn't. Um, but the idea of, and this is something else that goes against lore in the sense of, Vampires seem to always have like a place where they can just be, you know, um, in uh, the Lost Boys, they're hiding out in the caves, you know, in in the like 1931 Dracula, you know, he's being transported over um, from the the from Transylvania. He's, you know, in a a casket and there's got to be like ground from the um, from where he was that needs to be part of that. But here they're just on the run. Like yeah. I don't think we've really seen vampires who are like nomads in the sense of, you know, they're going from maybe not town to town. Maybe they're still staying within the state because there is a moment earlier in the film where, or I shouldn't say earlier. It's probably right where we're at in the moments where we're talking about the film, where there's a guy who's at a hotel and is like, "Haven't you stayed here before?" 
And Lance Henderson's like, yeah, like 30 years ago or something along yeah, he's those like, lines. Like, he's, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll be back another 50 years for another whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. But like they're making a point of that. These guys are on the run. They, they're not staying in one location. They're moving around, which I think is an interesting convention uh, or invention uh, of this movie that they're not. They're more nomads than they are actually having a home. Yeah. And it's also kind of similar to like, I mean, not that it's the same thing, but talking about the Westerns, like, uh, the, the, um, the gang that, uh, it was at El Indio had and, um, for a few dollars more where it's like, they have a goal, but they're going to go different places. Like they had, like, I mean, they, they didn't, there was no safe place for long. Right. And so that, that's, I like that idea too. Um, it's also interesting that for a group of uh, creatures that, um, sunlight's bad for them. Uh, I don't know if like Southern Midwest is a, a prime territory because isn't that mostly just sun, sun, sunshine all the time? Like it's just, you know, seems like a, a place that you may not want to hunt because it feels like the sun's going to be out a lot, <laughs> you know, I don't know, like maybe go a little bit North. I don't, maybe they already did. I don't know, but uh, I like that juxtaposition. I, I also want to point out just for like, we talk about like the film, not aging well in terms of some of the, the actions of people. I love the bit in the hotel room later when, um, when we have, uh, Caleb ask, um, uh, uh, Jesse, he's like, I've been mean to ask you, how old are you? And he was like, let's just put it this way. He's like, I fought for the South. And, and then of course, yeah. Caleb's like, what? And then, and then Jesse's like, and we lost. I want to be like, why does this goddamn immortal vampire understand what happened in history? <laughs> He's comfortable with being like, yeah, we lost. The Confederacy's been over for, <laughs> yeah, you know. Like, yeah, like like 100 years at this time. Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> at least he came to that conclusion. There are people who still don't seem to understand yeah, but that. It's like, I'm like, if the, if the vampire actually fought in the war, just is like being very honest about what happened. I'm, you know. I think we can learn something from Jesse Hooker. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like that was just like, I, I mean, it's just pointing. It was, I know it was more speaking to um, his, his age, but I'm just like, I thought that was funny. <laughs> but, but even when they're holed up in the hotel room. Right. And then like, what do they do? They start playing cards. They start just like, like dicking around and waiting. Right. And then like, just like your, your family type thing, you know, and they're going to figure out what they're going to do next. Like, that and then the next morning with like the police um, and like the shootout, that's all. That's all great sequence too. I this was all like at this point like the film was full tilt and I was in for everything. This was it was a lot of fun. I I, I was gonna say I agree, but I always say that like I feel like sometimes well, I need to disagree. Be like different. I disagree. It wasn't fun. <laughs> it, you know. <laughs> I will say that the movie um, is a slower pace. I think, and this may just be me, but you know, the eighties is, is known of that, that, ex, that decade of excess. And I, I think in contrast with something like the lost boys, which, you know, that film uh, has, you know, rock and roll vampires and it's a young cast and um, it's kind of hip in a lot of ways that I don't think movies were at the time. Uh, this feels very much like it's a very slow paced film and it's a slow burn. It's not, it's not in the sense of like, Oh, it's slow and it's detrimental, but like it, it caught me off guard where I was like, Hey, how come we're not getting like, you know, big special effects moments happening or crazy things happening. And 
the fact that it's so different from what we come to expect from a lot of 80s horror, I think is very interesting. I think that that, that, that as far as it being sort of this weird oddity, I should say weird oddity. I, I don't know how to describe it, but like if you told me that, yes, if you look at it visually, it's clearly an 80s film, but it doesn't feel like it fits into the aesthetic of an 80s film. We'll put it that way. That's fair. I mean, other than you got the soundtrack by Tangerine Dream, which is also really good, too. Like there, there's just so many wonderful parts to make this right. And like, and also cause considering that like the final confrontation, well, you get two of them, right? The one with the truck where you get Bill Paxton being the Terminator vampire, um, which was great. Um, I mm-hmm. like, I don't believe for a moment though, that, uh, Caleb was able to jackknife that truck in the sense of like, I was expecting it to roll, not just turn into the biggest fireball ever whatever yeah that's like fine but if they set up the movie earlier where the dude the the one trucker was talking to him about how to jackknife a truck fine bill paxton though is amazing at that where he's like you hit me with the truck now i'm just gonna stand here like the wing walker and just pull shit out of the front of your truck and i got all the time in the world because i'm a vampire i thought that was awesome i yeah again i'm like i agree yeah Yes. Uh, no, I, I totally agree with that. And I also like the fact that uh, it's sort of like a, a timing thing at the very end when Jesse and Diamondback are going after Caleb. And it's not so much that he knows that they're going to run out of time as far as like burning up. Yeah, because the sun's coming and all that. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. But it is interesting that it's like they never make it to him and they're. They don't even really acknowledge it, but they're like, well, we're going to take him out, uh, even if it's the last thing that we do. But they don't quite make it, which I thought was interesting. Well, because he was so resigned at that point with Jesse, like everything on fire, which, by the way, like the fire effects in this, too, in terms of like with the people being on fire was pretty good Mm -hmm. for 87. Like there was that stunt of the guy that was supposed to be Caleb getting into the van out of the hotel room in broad daylight where you see his hands catch on fire as he's opening the door to the van. I don't know how they did that. That is crazy because that's real. That's a real effect there. That's a real practical burn suit that they had on that guy. But the other actual fire that they did on everybody worked pretty well. But yeah, whenever like whenever I think Jesse realizes that he's not going to be able to stop Caleb, Diamondback is like it's like she's like it's been a fun ride or whatever. And then that's why he just like he pulls off to the side towards that telephone pole or whatever, and the car just detonates. Like they know their family's over, their time is up. Like I thought that was a really cool ending. Um, we didn't even talk to, about the problematic um, thing that is Homer and the decisions that he makes uh, that becomes the driving force in the last part of the movie. Um, talk about like consent, right? He's doing, he's doing, the, he's doing both things that kids do. They, sorry, kid. He's, he's in kid form, but he's, he's an older vampire. He's doing two things where he's taking um, Caleb's sister, who is younger against her will to turn her to a vampire. So he has a companion. So he's not only like, yeah, Homer is um, Homer's the real villain of the film. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's an astute, uh, you know, uh, it, I was going to say an astute decision, but that's not really what I was looking for. Um, I, I'm trying to not say I agree. I feel like I always <laughs> like I agree. Uh, it's the podcast where two people agree all the time. Yeah. Welcome to uh, the invasion that- of us agreeing all the time. Yes. Yeah. With that in mind, though, I I feel like even something like Let the Right One In um, is sort of that same idea. Mm -hmm. You've got a little girl vampire who meets a boy who 
she doesn't want to turn, but like she finds a kindred spirit. I think that Homer as a character is, is looking for that as well. Um, I didn't see that as problematic as some of the other things in the film. We'll put it that way. Yeah. I mean, the fact that he's taking a little girl though, and he's like basically the notion of like, she'll grow up eventually in terms of like, you know how he did, but Ooh. it's like that, yeah, that, that's, I mean, that's dark. I mean, again, this whole film's dark. The whole, that's what the name of the film is, you know, near dark. Um, but also to, to the point of like, uh, Caleb, you know, kind of being on board until he's like, Oh wait, that's my sister. No way guys. Like, <laughs> like, like, wait a you second gone too far. This yeah. time you guys no. are going to, you guys can eat all the other people you want, but not my sister or my dad. Um, yeah. Jack death will be no vampire dinner. Right. There you go. Um, no, it's just, you know, I mean, I, this is a cool movie. It really makes you like, I, like I said, I do appreciate there's a lot of thought put into this, the costuming too, like Lance Hendrickson's uh, glasses that he wears with like the, like the thick, like round dark glasses with like the nose covering, like, mm-hmm. and then like built, like they, they all had like these weird, like welder goggles or whatever, because they know they're going to have to be staring into sunlight. There's just some cool ideas there. Uh, I liked um, how it was emphasized in the hotel room as the cops are shooting it up. Like every time a new bullet hole happens, you'd hear like the sound of the sunlight. I mean, I know it's, I know it's for the film, but it's like, this is becoming a laser death trap for these guys. And it's like, it's, it's yeah, th- this is, um, this movie was, it's, it's one of the more surprisingly like, like um, good first time watches I've had in a long time. I'll just say that. Yeah, I don't. I don't know where this ranks for like recent first time watches, but um, I, it was not what I expected. I guess is the best yeah. way of putting it. And I don't mean that to be detrimental, but like I had in my mind, I'm like, it's an '80s vampire movie, so I kind of know what it's going to be like. Bill Paxton's front and center on the on the poster. He's going to be the lead. So the fact that like no, neither of those things really occurred within the movie, I'm like, oh. This is completely not what I thought it was. And that was a nice surprise. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it just, yeah, it was just a good way. Like, I'm glad that we got to this. Like, cause I know we were kicking around some other ideas to, to end pale boy summer. Uh, but this was phenomenal. F- a great watch. Um, I, I don't think we've spoiled all of it. Uh, people it's on shutter. Go, go watch it. It's 90 minutes. Like Steve said, it is a slow burn, but it doesn't overstay its welcome. Uh, you know, it just, it gives you an ending and then you're out. And I, that's another one of those things that like, you know, I don't need a 20 minute denouement. Like I don't need a 20 minute, like, you know, um, but then this, and then this, nah, you already gave me a bunch of crazy vampires in an SUV rolling around, you know, for an hour and a half. Like I'm good. Like every, um, yeah, this is a goddamn good movie. And that's hard to, sometimes it's hard to really dig down at times because you're like, I liked it so much, you know, like it's, it's, it is what it is. Like it, it sank its teeth into me and now I want more more uh of near dark like near dark 2 or you want more of Catherine bigelow's work yeah all those and and there's some human blood now i'm just really wanting that i want to um yeah <laughs> well we'll have to get you some true blood which it, is just like real blood but not really i'll just get some uh clamato uh you know uh whatever that is like you know like the bloody we'll mary get you some iron city and you'll be fine <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll i'll make a bloody mary um with some iron city that sounds like the worst idea ever so uh, <laughs> anything else about this film you wanted to, to, to talk about? I think, I mean, I think we did no, a good job. Yeah. Uh, 
And, and I, I, I want to go back because I feel like I do feel I, I want to make sure that I'm not presenting it as being detrimental. Like I thought I knew what this movie would be. And the fact that it wasn't was such a nice surprise because I was like, well, I don't know where it ranks in first time watches because I I'm trying to think of like what recently I was a first time watch for me that might have been something from the last 40, 50 years that I haven't. And I don't have something to compare it to. But like the the, the unexpectedness of this film, the fact that it's. Yes, it very much looks and feels like an 80s movie, but it's so far from, you know, like I think of, say, Fright Night. I think of The Lost Boys. I think of those as being iconic 80s uh, vampire movies. This is so far afield from that that I was really taken aback by how much of it is a slow burn horror movie, which we didn't get a lot of in the 80s. A lot of the 80s was about the excess. It was about the gore. It was about, you know, getting to the kills as fast as possible. So it was it was a, a nice turn, if you will, from what I was expecting. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, everybody, Dear Dark, gr- great movie. Uh, I think um, I think all the things we talked about over Pale Boy Summer with uh, with the help of Terry and and, and Richard, uh, you know, we go from Zoltan the Hound of Dracula, <laughs> which was fun. It's not near dark, you know. It's near dark with dogs. No, I'm kidding. Uh, you know, we go from that to Salem's Lot to Martin. Like they, we covered an interesting swath of um, you know of the vampire stuff. Like it, it isn't like we stayed in one lane and. That's what I was hoping for. And this kind of is like the cherry on the top of like, you know, this even showed me other things I hadn't considered. So this has been a fun little, um, you know, unplanned uh, side journey, uh, one month long of vampire stuff. This was this was a um, this was a lot of fun. I agree. And I'm glad that it got me to watch this movie. So maybe at some point we need to, like, you know, find other movies that I haven't watched and give me a good reason to watch them other than my laziness. Okay. So the untouchables is next week. I'm kidding. Um, so, uh, <laughs> I don't think I've seen that either. Like I, like I know one of the things that always hangs over my head's like gangs in New York. It's like, I know that like, I've never seen that. I'm like, there's a lot of the stuff that people are like, what? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I was outside chasing, um, squirrels with a stick or something. I don't know. Uh, so, <laughs> Uh, I thought you were going to say you were chasing waterfalls. Yeah, that too. That's what I was chasing waterfalls. waterfalls. Uh, (laughs) And I just never got to them. Um, So, so yeah, I think that's our discussion End our discussion for near dark. I think it's going to wrap up pale boy summer. Uh, Yeah. Great movie. Um, Please everybody check it out. Like it's available on shutter. There's a lot of cool stuff on there as well. Shutter is a great streaming service for the price. And just in general, it's a great streaming service. Um, So, Check that out. Uh, you guys can find us on um, Facebook and Invasion of the Podcast. You can email us directly at invadingpodcast at gmail.com. Wherever you find your podcast, rate and review us. And if you're like, hey, um, hey, everybody, did you want to hear uh, four episodes uh, about vampires? Yeah. But if not, other things, recommend the show. If you guys like it, please let other people check it out. Uh, the more the merrier. And Steve, how can people find you? You can find me at the Saturday Night Slasher.com. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook under the Saturday Night Slasher. You can also find me on Etsy under our store, which is the Art of the Slash. And if you're looking to see me in person, live, and uh, in all my glory, along with my partner Ryan Sandy, we're going to be at Gem City Comic Con in sunny Dayton, Ohio, July 24th and 25th. Uh, that's a Saturday and a Sunday next week, and I'm sure I'll promote it next week as well. But uh, we're going to be doing our first convention since uh, the pandemic, quote unquote, ended. Uh, so you yeah. can come see us. 
come out and buy a comic and uh, say hello. And I, I also just wanted to mention really quick uh, in, in listening to the episodes, which I was not on at the beginning of the month with Richard, uh, who was a great co-host. Um, I, I think he did actually a better work of promoting my work than I did. So a better job, I should say, of promoting work. So maybe we should just cut and in, in, in like uh, paste that into future episodes. Yeah, just so. pay, like pay him royalties or something. No, yeah, he did an yeah. amazing job of advertising all the things that were associated with. Uh, yeah, but and yeah. we can put in there like not hired actor. <laughs> yeah, not getting paid. Like <laughs> no, yeah, like no. Everybody check out Steve's stuff. Uh, if you're if you're dating, go over offer him um a, a mug full of blood. I, I don't know. Don't do that. Um, but or a mug full of brownies. Those are good. Too. There you go. There you go. Um, like uh, I was like near dark chocolate. That's that's what they should be. They should be called. Uh, so. So, yeah, that's that's going to do it for us plugging every all the things um, uh, before we talk about what we're doing next week. Uh, let's just get to uh, this game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> so to round out Pale Boy Summer, I was thinking I got to come up with something that's like vampire adjacent. And of course, my brain went to caskets. Uh, so, Oh, my God. <laughs> See, I knew. I knew. Well, I texted you today. I was like, I have the probably one of the darkest things I've ever come up with. Um, what? The vampires use caskets. That's fair. Okay. I can't argue with that. Uh, I, your reaction is, is um, has, uh, it's the bomb for my soul, Steve. I need. I was not you. expecting it to, to be caskets. So uh, there's a website called skycaskets.com. They do custom caskets. I just found this randomly. So I'm going to ask you, Steve, uh, is this a real custom casket or a fake one? So with here's the caveat. Just with the understanding that the real ones were paid by people that did have loved ones that did use these to bury their loved ones. I am sensitive to that. Um, the idea of a custom casket to me is odd. Like I just saying that like I, the, the way I would want to grieve and mourn somebody, I don't know if that's the, like the option that I would choose. I'm respecting their decision to do so. But my point is that this is a service these things have been made. So I'm just going to ask you if this is like something that was actually made or not. So I think that's all right. The, okay. So, all right. <clears throat> a Steelers casket. As in the, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Yes. I feel like that's real. That, it's dumb, but it feels real. It, it, well, it's real. And they had uh, multiple other like, um, university things like whatever. Right. So that you'd see like, you know, I don't want a themed casket. I, well, okay, let's just go back here. I never want to be in a casket, but I know that day's coming. But I don't want <laughs> to be in in two weeks. <laughs> like no, yeah. Like. <laughs> well, it's like that that episode of of The Simpsons where Homer meets God, and he's like, "Can you just tell me like the mysteries of the universe?" And, and God looks at there, looks down at him, and says, "What? You can't wait six months?" <laughs> yeah. And Homer's like, "No." Uh, but yeah, I I don't know, like. I, Right. A thief casket just seems weird. I'm not going to be there. It's not like I can enjoy it. That's my point. Like, is that, you know, like, and these, these things, like they have like these nice wraparounds, like graphics on the outside. And then they also like, when you open them up, like there's inlays on the inside. So it's like, just, just that's for the viewing. And for people to remember the person that was, I get it. Like, I'm like, I'm not trying to be insensitive to that. I just, 
I don't understand it myself. That's all. That's all I want to say. So, uh, all right. Um, <laughs> Bud Light casket. God, I, I hope it's fake, but it's probably real. I, I, I know, uh, the band kiss, I think had a kiss casket. They do. That was yeah. more of like a cooler, but in this sense, I, I, it's probably real. No, that one is fake, but the kiss, oh. the kiss, they do also sell a casket that's used for burials as well. So whatever. Um, yeah. Um, all right. Let's see what else we got here. Um, a Pokemon Pikachu casket. Oh man, this really is putting me in an uncomfortable place. Um, I want to say that's real, but it's only sold in Japan for some reason. I don't know. That's awful of me to I say. I mean, you got to catch them all. No, but uh, no, that one's fake. So there you go. Okay. Um, a cow print casket. That was a cow print. Like, like you know, it's a cow print. Like, like, it's like, you know, black and white all spotted. And then black splotches. Yeah. I mean, why not just call it the Dalmatian print? But uh, that's probably real because it's dumb. <laughs> it, it is real oh, of course all right uh camouflage casket <laughs> i'm sorry that's actually dumb <laughs> oh there you yeah. go i got the awkward i got the awkward laugh from steve about a casket game there you go life life well lived i'm out <laughs> <laughs> I also find it weird that like there's also like a um, uh, uh, a gun uh, like I'm sorry not a gun well it's guns but also that there's like pink camo and I'm like who is that for like is that for you like you know blending in at Victoria's Secret I don't understand the idea the idea of camo is that it's supposed to camouflage you when you're in a giant like wooded area. Or, or, or desert or whatever. No yeah, you're right. So, yeah. So, but, but. Uh, and I'm sorry if I'm offending our gun owners of the, uh, the podcast or those of you who own pink camouflage, but I, uh, a camouflage casket. That's, it's just dumb. For so me, I'm going to say it's, it's it, absolutely real. It is it's real. Probably, um, it's real. Yeah. And one of these, there's a couple others for like military service. So I'm not going to like, you know, you can't, whatever uh but one of them when the open inlay was definitely a picture of a gun so there you go but the camouflage casket my whole thing with that is if it's being buried six feet uh, with earth on top of it it's hidden pretty well yeah and you're not gonna come across it at the bottom and be like yeah oh they, we didn't almost run into this casket because it was camouflage yeah I mean, I, I mean, I guess if you're, you know, um, like Sergeant Dracula and you're on the move with your troops or whatever, I don't know. But um, all right. There, Steve, that's your new comic idea. Sergeant Dracula. Make it happen. <laughs> um, it's not a bad idea. And, and it's core of the night. Anyway, so uh, uh, speaking core of the night, Batman casket. Oh, wow. Uh, I want to believe that DC wouldn't uh, actually. Uh, um license out their characters uh for something like that so maybe it's an unlicensed thing but uh i want to say it's that's false okay that is fake i did order one for you though so you're going to get a batman casket so there that's what's <laughs> going to happen there. which um, is good because i told my wife that i want to be stuffed and left on the couch but <laughs> i don't think she believes that um, so at least you're looking out for me right okay a super mario casket 
It's a me. Um, somebody that has a cat. It's scan. a me. I'm dead. Yeah. Uh, that's probably real. It is real. Uh, monster energy drink casket. <laughs> I hope it's just shaped like a monster energy can. <laughs> that's probably the way I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've never been able to like enjoy those energy drinks. I think I've mentioned this before in the podcast. Like when it comes to like Red Bull, the only time I've ever had Red Bull is when it's mixed with liquor. So, like, I'm not the guy who's going into Speedway in the morning and I'm like, hey, I'm going to pick me up some energy drinks before I go into work. That's that's never been me. Oh, so I don't drink me. Monster either. Um, I'm going to say that's probably real, though. It's It seems just as tacky as a kiss casket. It's fake. I mean, to my knowledge, I didn't go looking like I just, you know, I, I looked at the items on skycaskets.com and then I made up my own. So there might be a monster casket out there. Who knows? Um, you know, uh, let's see here, uh, a school bus casket, meaning let me just, let me, I'll describe. Oh it. no. Where are we going there? It, it just, it, it's yellow and black, like a school bus, not like it's not a school bus that somebody's just in. Okay. Uh, wow. I'm trying to think here. I feel like, I feel like that's real. I don't know why it is real. Cause I had to stop and describe it to you. So I figured if I had described it to you, you'd be like, well, wait, he's actually describing it. So it is real. Yeah. Um, all right. John Deere casket. <laughs> I mean, really, if you're that much into like, uh, you know, uh, tilling the earth or farming the earth, if you will, like you should just be okay with becoming part of it. So you shouldn't have a casket at all. You should just be like, put me in the ground <laughs> yeah, and let me, me over. I'll become curate yeah, naturally. Yeah. But yeah, that's tacky enough that I'm going to say it's real. Okay. You're right. It's real. Def leopard casket. <laughs> oh. Wow. I, <sighs> this is nothing against Def leopard, but you know, you're probably going to next tell me like, Metallica casket, and I'm like, God damn it, there probably is one. Well, that would have been great uh, to but, come up with. There probably is one, though. Yeah. Um, as much as I love that band, boy, do they love their merchandise. Like they would, they would have uh, one. They'd have one called Load and then Reload. It's like, why would you do that? You know, anyway, like, Master of Coffins. Def <laughs> yeah. um, Leppard. I'm going to say that's fake. It is fake. But what if there was a smaller one for the arm of like, a, like someone that, you know, that's a drummer, like what? <laughs> never mind. Sorry. That's a, bad, that's a bad, bad joke. That's what I do now. All right. Snap on tools casket. Snap on tools. Yeah. As in like the, you know, the, uh, mechanical instruments. Yeah. Company. Tools. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Snap on. You know, the wow. big, the big, red, um, uh, the big red boxes that they store the tools in, right? Like it's no dumber than a John Deere casket. So I'm going to say, yes, that's real. Okay. That is fake. I, well, to my knowledge again, like, um, all right, we're almost at the end here. Um, Bigfoot monster truck casket. <laughs> I, I want to believe it's fake, but I also want to be, want to believe that it's like a bigger casket where it's like <laughs> this thing clutch four caskets. Uh, if you put them underneath it, so I'm going to say it's real and, and, and but it could only, it, it could only be, uh, buried near a grave digger, uh, a monster, <laughs> a monster truck casket. Now, um, 
No, it, that's fake. I thought that'd be funny, though, to do that. All right. Um, Fortnite casket. I mean, is there anybody who's currently dying that could fit in a uh, that would be perfectly fit for a? Well, I guess I guess I'm now also being like, what about dead children? Um, <laughs> wow, uh, take a very dark turn. Well, like, I'm gonna say I, that's I, fake. I, I warned everybody, right? <laughs> you did. Getting uh, into some really dark territory. Um, okay, but I'm gonna say that's fake. You're gonna say that's fake. All right. Before I reveal the answer to that, I'm going to give you the last one, and then we'll, I'll tell you. I'll give the answers for both. Uh, live, laugh, love casket. Please tell me that's fake, and and I I, I don't want to like go too deep into um, commercials for insurance companies, but I will say I love the commercials for a certain um, insurance company in which there's a man who is trying to prevent people from coming their parents. And there's a woman who's got like a live, love, laugh, uh, like sign, and he just throws it in a garbage can. <laughs> What's great is, is there's a, another commercial in which he points out to somebody who's like, you know, who else likes books about submarines? Your dad. <laughs> um, my wife, uh, her father, he served in the Navy, uh, was on a submarine and he loved submarine books. So I always think of that where I'm like, oh, my God, that is. That is totally my wife's parents. Like her dad loves books about submarines. Uh, That said, I'm going off a a track here. Um, Actually, I don't even know where I was going with that. No, no, that's Uh, because I said live, laugh, love casket. Yes, the live, laugh, love casket. Please tell me that's fake. Uh, Okay. I I despise those those signs. (laughs) If I see a a casket with it on, like, wow. Uh, so and then for Fortnite, the Fortnite casket, what did you, what'd you say about that? Like, I think you said you thought that was fake as well. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, you're, you're two for like one for two, uh, Fortnite casket is real. Live, laugh, love casket is not real to my knowledge. I'm sure <laughs> that's available like a, like a pure one, which that's not even a thing anymore, but I'm sure it's available like a, a bed, bath and beyond or something, a bed, bath and beyond outlet, a coffin store. Um, right. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, so there you go. That's, that's, that's (laughs) the, the worst game I've ever, like, as in terms of like morally bankrupt game that I've ever come up with. Um, so yeah, I think I showed my stripes on a few things there. So, wow. Uh, (laughs) awful all together. All right. Uh, Um, so, all right. Uh, that's it. That's all I got for the game. Uh, so next week, uh, unless Steve, unless you had another terrible thing you wanted to say. No, I think I've done enough this episode. <laughs> uh, so next week we're going to do our year of the sequel. We'll be covering 1983's Wayne's World 2. Uh, this will be a, a fun one to get back to because I've only seen this like once or twice. Uh, I've seen Wayne's World a, a lot of times. So um, I'll see how much time and distance has uh, changed my opinions of this film or not. It'll be fun to get to. I am hoping that uh, my viewing uh, this will be a little bit more kind than I remember, uh, when I watched it, uh, 25 years ago. So I'm looking forward to jumping in and talking about it. Yeah. So, uh, that's going to do it for us this week. Have a good week. Have a safe week. Uh, like, uh, I hope you guys had a good pill boy summer. Uh, and, um, I don't know. I don't, if you don't want to get eaten by vampires, don't go to a, like a shithill barn in, in Texas or Oklahoma. That's what I gotta say. 